I went into a pet shop and asked if I could buy a goldfish. The bloke asked if I wanted an aquarium. I said, I don't care what star sign it is. Ladies, gentlemen and variations thereupon, this is Modern Escapism. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Oodles, the one-man double act constantly at odds with himself. Together, we are the host of this show. Joining me, as always, the man that argues with himself and constantly punches mirrors, claiming he's the strongest in the room. It's Stig. I am the strongest in any room. Hello. (laughs) This gentleman is one half down-to-earth Geordie and one half internet-based cloud-powered Cyberman. It's Gadget. Yeah, that tracks. That's pretty accurate. Hello. Okay. And what do you get if you add ultra alpha qualities with sigma sexuality? It's the half man, half dildo biggie. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> and this week, Candy is on a union designated strike. And until we can reach terms that both parties are happy with, she'll be away. But we'll see her soon. Don't you worry. Before. We get into the show. Please consider becoming one of our sexy and incredibly cool patrons to help us divide and conquer the podcasting world. Details are in our show notes, but mainly check out our website, modernescapism.co.uk, for more exquisite content and links to everything we do. And now it's time for everyone's favourite segment of the show. It's Biggie's Breaking News. That's right. Thank you. This just came in from earlier in the week. Um, Seafood. Um, I like the look of this. So, um, for those of you who have listened to the pod already, know it's been out ages, mate. The, yeah, it's <laughs> a few months. Um, the beat him up, but um, streamer Rudism, I think his name is, uh, known for making weird and wonderful controllers and does challenge run streams. He's created a motion controller for seafood as his latest oh. project, and he, he streamed the results. Um, and yeah, he's just got uh, this little setup. Where he wears two gloves that have motion sensors and a stick in each hand, and he's literally pulling off the you know some punching moves. He's not actually doing it every single move in the game, but uh, the game's reacting. Looks really cool. It's in its early stages, but imagine that as a bit of a workout because that game That's is badass. It's badass that like like they could apply that to things like Tekken and other things as, as well. If it if it catches, you imagine? It, I'd love I'd love it. I'd love it. I can imagine a lot of broken TVs punches. with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Remember the rough, the rough, rough days of the early Wii years when no one used the wrist strap. All those poor yeah. plasma TVs in 2008 dying for nothing. Oh, we um, played the new Switch Sports the other week, and I was like, yeah. make sure that you have this strapped to your hand, and if you play with your it. friends, have it strapped to their wrists. If no one straps this to their wrist, they are not playing. <laughs> <laughs> Too right. This one uh, has been debunked by Oodles already, but apparently um, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2, the Sith Lords, that was on available on Steam, at uh, Steam, on Switch, um, apparently it had a game-breaking bug. If you're in a, a particular section, which was something to do with uh, the game crashed after the Basilic crash cutscenes, pun in, not intended, um, when players arrived on Onderon, the game would crash. Um, it took a player to get in contact with 
Aspire, Aspire, is that the people that made it? Yep. Um, to get them to actually confirm that this bug existed, it took a little while for them to actually um, confirm that, yes, it was there. Apparently, they've now come up with a way to get around it. But, yeah, imagine which, that. Which is very weird, a report when I got past that segment the day the game launched. It's not, mm. it's not too far in. It's about three, four hours in, and you know I can do that in an evening. It might and be it, not an it, issue. It might be something. It's exciting. to do with choices, though. That game, isn't it? it yeah, it might if I'd have made a different choice, might be tied to certain choices. It might also be tied yeah. to certain Switch hardware. You know, like different chipset matches or something like that. Yeah, I do have the newer Switch. Of it the did say it ones. affected only a certain amount of players. Yeah, and it says that their workaround is apparently in the form of a dev warp, whatever that is, that bypasses the spot where the game crashes. Yeah, that game's one of those old school CRPG games where they could easily insert an NPC. To transport you to where they need you to go, you know, I'm just say, "Follow me," and then fade to black. You're there. <laughs> yeah. you could easily do it yeah. without any ramifications to the story. It's still a fantastic game, though. Love it. Awesome. Uh, somebody also has been tinkering away. Another YouTube channel, DIY Perks, um, specialised in building gadgets and tech. He created the very first PS5 Slim, um, which was only two centimeters. I watched in this. height. He did the it made set it on rust, fire. Didn't it? Yeah, it made out of but no, no, he's put his it's water cooled. He's got two big water valves that go into the back of it. <laughs> yeah, so it he's um, more than a PS5 then. Oh yeah, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to get a PS5 the majority, first. <laughs> the majority of the PS5's bulk comes from steel shrouding and CPU cooling heat sinks, and with those gone, what he did was basically create um, a custom water channeling system made from copper sheeting. It wasn't cheap, costing an eye-watering 240 for the sheeting alone. Apparently it worked. Um, what you don't see is that the um, sizable internal power supply is a massive external power brick, which is hidden around the side. Yeah. He, d- he, d- yeah. he did what they do, do, what they do on the Xbox um, One, you know, the big chunker thing. Oh, I remember them. That sits outside, and sometimes you have to blow into them or you have to turn them off and let them power down and stuff like that. One of those... I hate those. They were so power. annoying. The, the, the 360 Awful. had a big chunky uh, one, didn't it? Yeah. As well. oh, yeah. He did that on the PS5. But to, to say he did this alone, his design is absolutely stunning in comparison oh, yeah, to what looks... Sony's marketing team did or whatever. Because I prefer the PS5 the dev biggest, kit over the PS5. <laughs> the biggest or tallest console, haven't you? To like the small, compact, almost like a, a laptop close, really, isn't it? When he opened it up, when he opened it up, there's a lot of empty room in there, and it is for ventilation. I get that, yeah. yeah. And it is whisper quiet, mine. So, yeah, mine is it's still fucking ugly. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, PlayStation, so of course we had the revamp of the PlayStation Plus um, came out. Um, it surprised quite a lot of people actually because it wasn't very clear exactly what everybody was getting because they did it in stages. So it went uh, Japan first. North America and then Europe, and but um, different games. <laughs> yeah, you've also got that. But yeah, basically, in a nutshell, um, it roughly spans over over eight hundred games if you pay for the PlayStation Plus Premium. So if you're new to PlayStation, this is probably one of the best deals ever, either the extra or the premium, because you've basically got a massive catalogue of games now that you may never have played. So I mean, it's outstanding value for that. And you can't really compare this to. It the is, game but over two hundred of them, are stream. You have to stream them, 
which is yeah, just yeah. pathetic. It's just pathetic. But um, like I, I, I've got the I've got the trial of the um, uh, the middle tier, the uh, extra tier. It's called, and that oh, it's got PS Five games that you can download. Like Miles Morales is on there. Some proper absolute bangers are on there, and and the premium one with, with the premium ones with the, yeah Demon Souls on there with the premium one. It's it's just garbage. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not enough to make you want. They've got they've got uh, Resident Evil Director's Cut, which is the original Resident Evil built from like reimagined, not even reimagined. It's the same game but upresed for the PS5, which is very odd that they're locking that one game that I'm kind of interested in in the the premium. I'm not I'm not down. Yeah. If they start saying, look, we've got more PSP games on this now, I'll start thinking about it, but. That that extra tier is fine. It's only like a couple of quid more, and you're getting so many. I think it it's, represents it's no game value pass. at the moment. No. It's no game pass, and I don't think near. it's really designed to be. I think Sony had to do something, and I think this is enough for the moment before they decide what they do for the future. I when think start. when Stray comes out in a few months, or whenever it comes out, and that's a premium one. Yeah, I think we're all going to probably get that premium for a month. Uh, that's why I'm saving yeah, it. I'm you, saving my trial for that. It's cheaper than the game. <laughs> you know, for free. Because it's day I think Sony have given you that option, haven't they, that you can upgrade yeah. at any point. Um, yeah, it, I don't if I have to upgrade to, pre- but... upgrade to premium now, because i got three months of that thingy due to, due to a code. Something, something, I can't remember what it was. A free trial and turned into a code. And I can upgrade for three months of the premium one for 20 pence. It must have accu- I must have accumulated something. I don't understand. I, I, I don't I get it. It's confusing. Maths confuses me. P. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have to make a choice. <laughs> <laughs> but for, for straight, it's going to be worth it for that month. Well, the, the normal PlayStation Plus subscription is 50 quid. The extra is £84. And for premium, Ooh. it's £100 a year. If you're paying... For the full year, as opposed to I don't to think I'd ever pay anything like that quarter. yearly. I might be dead in a year. It's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> I pay monthly. <laughs> so you pay more. Keep, keeping my options yeah, it don't open. matter. <laughs> Just in case. Um, we've had Glastonbury this week. It's not my sort of thing, but I thought it was a couple of Mate. interesting things that came out of it. Uh, Billy Ellish, brilliant, has uh, become the Glastonbury festivals. <laughs> um, youngest ever headline act with the LA born star forming on the pyramid stage on Friday night. Uh, Paul McCartney was reunited with John Lennon via some tech with um, by a necromancy. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "I'm going to do something you've never seen at Glastonbury and he was going before." Like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and he rose from the grave. He actually uh, it made Paul McCartney. So Billie Eilish was the youngest ever. Oh. To perform, and Paul McCartney's the oldest, the oldest ever, the yeah. same weekend. Yeah, I'll t- I'll say it okay. now, and I'm, I've seen a lot of people saying that on Twitter as well. And <laughs> I'm not new for saying this. Billie Eilish fucking crushed. She's she class. was brilliant. I'm not a massive fan, but how subtle she is with her voice and how she can control—I don't know—two hundred fifty thousand people with someone that is, she's not a she don't bellow songs out. She's not that. She's more subdued as an artist, isn't she? It's yeah. Fucking. There was three of them on stage. That's it. It was fucking fantastic. You should watch that that little mini concert of them. They're fucking brilliant. See how young she is as well. God, what have I achieved at life? Nothing. <laughs> um, Wolf Alice, again, another band I don't know. Uh, they managed to get to the stage finally after asking fans for a private jet 
to get them there after the LA flight was cancelled. And they made it. Good. Um, but that's it. Unless you guys have picked up anything else from Glastonbury, I don't really watch it. So. Uh, yeah, Paul McCartney's really good. <laughs> Still. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how he does it. <laughs> I, I haven't watched anything uh, from it, but I, I, I was talking to someone this morning who'd been watching it. Apparently, uh, when Noel Gallagher was playing, like mm-hmm. he was play, he played most of his set was like the high flying birds stuff, and not a single person yeah. knew any of the songs. And it wasn't no, the crowd didn't pick up until he played Oasis stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. But when he does play it, he, he saves it to the very end, and he knows what he's doing because Liam Gallagher does the same when he does his own stuff. They both wait till the very end. Just get back together, boys. What, what Come was, on now. What, what's funny about them too is that they um, when they both set off and did the solo stuff, they refused to play Oasis stuff. Yeah, and then Liam don't. was like, Liam basically was like, "Well, fuck this. Might as well just play Oasis stuff and my stuff because people like yeah. it." And now Knowles of it started playing Oasis stuff as well because obviously he's seen that it works. They should just get back together and just fucking ash it out. You know what I mean? I think they'd rather stab each other first. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I honestly think it's mad. To see that juxtaposition between Sir Paul McCartney and Billy Eilish, just massive age gap, both absolutely crushing the shit out of it. Fantastic! Mm. I'd love to have been there. I've been to Glastonbury a few times, but I'd love to go. That was, I, think, I, oh, I was there for a fucking week, mate. I wanted to come home after. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna die. Here. Do you know what? Do you know what really annoys me about um, people online when it comes to stuff like Glastonbury? Same with Leeds Festival and everything. Everyone goes. Mm. Who were all these people? Back when I went, it was these bands, these bands, and these bands. Yeah. Like, it's always contemporary, though. Yeah. Isn't it? Like, but I'm sure that the people who went to festivals in the 90s looked at the bands you were seeing in 99, 2000 yeah. and going, Who the fuck are these? Back back in my day, I had these, these, and these. Like, I just don't get the why people I'm say sorry that about, and do like, that. It's modern I, times. People, I'd rather. Artists move, move on. on. Music moves on. Like, sort of festivals. I'd rather see Billie Eilish come in and crush it than watch. Ozzy Osbourne scuff his lines for fucking 45 <laughs> minutes again. Do you know what I mean? We've seen these, you know what I mean? But Paul McCartney's come out, he was fresh as a daisy, man. He is. He is on some kind of elixir, that man. I'm telling you now. Really good. Veganism. <laughs> That's the way. <laughs> Unless he died. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Um. Guy Ritchie will be directing Disney's live-action Hercules, and uh, people. I saw someone was trying to get Bruce Campbell to play the um, Hades. I the character Hades. Thank you. I'd be into That'd that work. Yeah. Bruce Campbell would be amazing at Hades. Yeah, that would that would absolutely work. It's a bit of an odd choice, but I guess yeah. because of the success of Aladdin, that's why they've gone with him. But you I need also someone f- to chew the scenery, and that's what Campbell does on everything he ever does. Yeah, I. I I can only see them see, saying, oh, well, Guy Ritchie directed Aladdin. Aladdin hit over a billion dollars. Yeah. It's yeah. a winning formula. But people didn't go to see Aladdin because it was a Guy Ritchie film. No. So it's, They went to see Will Smith. Went see, it's Aladdin, isn't it? It's yeah, it's Aladdin, Aladdin, one of the best got, Disney yeah, films ever. It's got Will Smith in it, and yeah. it was just like, yeah, so it made kind of, it was always going to make money. Um, if they want to really make Hercules pop, they need to get 80s to be someone Bigger than Bruce Campbell, I think. Yeah, it won't be Jones Bruce Campbell. It's Hercules. Who? Vinnie Jones. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Although be ridiculous. They, they need to bring um, Danny DeVito back 
for the. I think I think that could, they could do that for yeah. filler TTs, yeah. Yeah, I think they could do that. I, I, and they do need to keep the muses in there. I think with the singing and the moving. Yeah, it's yeah. Doing the same thing with yeah. telling the story and moving it along, which I think they are doing. But good. Yeah, it would be. Uh, so Disney just basically making live Achilles. action movies of their back catalogue now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, why not? It makes money. money. It makes <laughs> money. Yeah, you, you don't need you don't need them, but it makes. I quite makes liked, some money. I quite liked Aladdin, and I quite liked Lion King as well. Didn't love them. Never loved them. Didn't like Lion didn't, King. Didn't love Jungle Book. Just I so... just liked them. I like Jungle Book. Dumbo was Beauty all right. Beauty and the Beast was not good. Um, Lion King was really soulless. Um, I've said it before. The best the best live action one still is 101 Dalmatians from the 90s. Yeah, yeah, with Glenn yeah. Close. Yeah. That's actually a really good film. <laughs> it's a fantastic film. Yeah, but all these other ones now are just they just don't hold they just hold don't hold a candle. I get what really. you mean though. There is a, a lot less soul to it. It is weird, isn't it? Yeah, but the Lion King was literally it was almost a shot for shot remake, and it was. Yeah, but the, they had the one CGI, scene they were in it. Of character. Yeah, they had one scene in it which was live action, which was like a backdrop. Mm. Of something and that's it. The rest of it, I mean, it's incredible CGI and incredible, oh, it's fantastic, like uh, work. But there's something about because they tried to make the lines real and then they move the mouths, move and talk like humans, it doesn't work. It, it's just uncanny valley, it's just not, yeah, right. exactly. Like cartoons, fine, you can do that with a cartoon, it's easy yeah. enough to do that. And that Simba, that Simba scene where, where they're about to kiss. It's fucked up on the new one, on the live action one. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's fucked up on the cartoon it's one. It's fucked well. up in the cartoon one. She gives him the fuck Lions me eyes kiss. big time. <laughs> fuck me, Simba, right here in this Serengeti. <laughs> Do it now. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna her Tatas. Exactly. Fucking dirty lions. The title of the book. And finally, uh, Leia Sidhu. Um, is going to play Lady Margot in June part two. I'm into this. I don't know who that is. Yeah, so. I, I think she's great. She's awesome. I watched well, no, the film I'm sorry, this I know week. the actress. I don't it know who the character is. So the character of Lady Margot, she, she's, um, she's the wife of kind of someone who works with Baron Harkonnen um, within like You'll the grand conspiracy. I don't want to kind of spoil anything, but you've got like kind of... It's a decent role. Yeah. You've got this this kind of like lord guy that's that's doing a bit of bullshit with the Baron, but then Lady Margot's kind of doing her own thing around what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. I um give June a, a release date. Expected is it twenty three or twenty four? It's, it's, it's start filming it yet, mate. It, it's next year. The, the 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 filming starts in the next couple of months. Okay. But yeah, that's all I've got. You got any new stick? Uh, just this one about Game of Thrones. I, mainly, it was just because I wanted to have a go at George R. R. Martin yet again, doing side, pro- doing side projects that aren't finishing his fucking books. <laughs> <laughs> it's confirmed that he's... he's just not got an ending for it. I don't I know reckon, what he's doing. I, I, I reckon he's seen the way the TV show ended and goes, "Fuck that! I'm not releasing another book." <laughs> well, he's having to really, he's having to rewrite it because it's like that was my ending, and people hated it. <laughs> yeah, imagine if he won. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, that's, the ending of the show is so part of it is kind of where I expected it to go anywhere. It's just the way the show presented yeah. it that ruined it. So if George R. R. Martin is going to tell that same story, but he's managing to tell it and spread it across the last few books and slowly build to it, fine. It's just 
I'd really like, that, thing with really that, like that book, is, please, George. Yeah, I would. The weird <laughs> thing with that last season as well, it was the book that I'm not going to say who, but who, who claimed the Iron Throne at the end was the bookie's favourite from the beginning. I'm like, how did you guess that? What, what insider knowledge do you have? I just, uh, it it's just messed up. Doesn't, it's shit if that's... You can't end up on it. No. No. <laughs> the, 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 the thing with this Snow spin-off, focusing on Jon Snow... Snow! It's the most pointless thing because it, but at the end of the day, I don't think... like Maybe after the third or fourth season, Jon Snow became the least interesting character in Game of Thrones. He wasn't a good character from the beginning. I ne- uh, never liked yeah. him. Like, I like people around him. Yeah, like he like just grit. he just seemed to be like this blank slate for the characters around him. Yes. Remember that fight the outside North. Winterfell? Fucking hell. When he stood up against the whole army. That was Battle incredi- of the Bastards. That was incredible. Yeah. No, it was One great. good no, episode. I mean, I mean, his story was dull, is what I'm saying. Like, as a character, he's just not great. Um, uh, and yeah. yeah. Uh, when I when I read about it, it was like it was like like someone said, "Oh, Kit, Kit Harrington's producing it." So I'm like, ah, you can't get any work. And yeah, <laughs> well, he's in Marvel. He's in he's in the MCU, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's going to be in the MCU. <laughs> Guess everyone's in the MCU. <laughs> everyone's in the MCU, and he's fucking playing Jon Snow effectively anyway. He is. He is. So how far? Me and Stig, me and Stig have been invited into MCU, so we, we don't know who we're going to play yet, do we, Stig? But I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I don't know. Like, I could be Wonder Twins. Wonder that's Twins, D- yeah, that's all we D- could be in it. DC, that, isn't it? That's DC. <laughs> yeah, it don't matter, but we'll, we'll drag us in. We'll drag us in. How far do you reckon George oh. is with the final book? It's he never isn't. coming out. He hasn't done chapter one yet, mate. He's waiting to die. Who doesn't have to do it? <laughs> he's going he's he's to let die. someone else finish it off, isn't he? Like, uh, he's got, he's got, Wheel of Time and Brandon Sanderson finish it off. He's just going to, he's lied that Tolkien, up, hasn't he? he didn't finish Silmarillion off. Christopher had to do it. In the in the grand scheme, and, and this is getting no joke. But like, if George R. R. Martin never actually finishes it off, they'll probably give it to James S. A. Corey, who does the Expanse books. Um, because I mean that's a pen name for two writers, but one of the writers behind it is George R. R. Martin's editor. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot more. Sense. A lot of people saying that online. I've seen it. It makes so much sense. And they'll just probably just copy the uh, the series to make it easier and get the book out and sell millions. Yeah. Yeah, and stick with Is that it for the news? That's it. Excellent, excellent. Let's crack on with the Nexus. Biggie, have a rest. Stig, what have you been up to this week? I've been doing a fair few things this week. I'm going to bring some to the green room as well, because I'd like to just chat about them. But there's a few things here I just want to touch on. First off is I started the Umbrella Academy this week, season three. It's out on Netflix. It's really good. The opening to this new series was absolutely excellent just kind of did something which out of nowhere and was a lot of fun and just had us proper laughing at uh what they did um it's a really good show everyone should check it out um i'm not really aware of it it's a lot of fun honestly it's like sci-fi drama uh kind of time uh loop kind of stuff like a uh, time it's travel a comic and all that book stuff. from an author i don't really know it's jared way Gerard Way. Fucking Michael Locker Romance, Gerard Way. Yeah. Oh, no wonder I didn't recognise him. I'm like, <laughs> who's this guy? Oh, <laughs> right. I know yeah. he's a comic book nerd. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. Honestly, okay. you should check it out. I know you like to binge a show, so it's really bingeable. Mm. Definitely give it a go. Mm. But the reason I, I, I've oh. only watched three episodes, but I just want to touch on it because I brought this up to our Discord. Um, 
this show stars Elliot Page, and they they actually have his character in the show transition from Vanya to Victor this season. And mm. I just wanted to give a big shout out uh, to uh, Steve Blackman and the show creators and runners to how they handled that because they just did it perfectly. It's done so beautifully, so perfect. You look online and see the outpouring from people at how well they, they handled it in the show. Good. Um, if you're not bothered about spoilers, I did post it in our Discord. You can look it up online. They have about three scenes where he kind of comes out to his family and just it was just the way they handled it was great. Uh, Blackman said that he worked very closely with Paige and glad to uh, work in Victor's storyline in a respectful manner. And yeah, they did it perfectly. Into it. Brilliant. Yeah. So I just wanted to. Highlight to the that way really. it happened with uh, the X Men, right? Oh, don't. I don't know. I don't know what that is. She was outed. Mm-hmm. Or he was outed back then. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't very Nastily good. Done. No. Yeah. No, this was perfect. Um, so the other th- thing, I watched a film called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. It stars Emma Thompson and Dara McCormack. Uh, this is a film where Thompson plays a retired school teacher whose husband passed away a few years ago. And after having a very unfulfilled marriage sexually with him, uh, like she's never experienced an orgasm, he was very uh, kind of lay on top, pump, pump, squirt. And very prudish about things, never wanting to try things. So Pump Pump Squirt is our episode title. She hires a uh, sex worker and has a number of meetups in the hotel room to kind of fill her desires and do things that she's always wanted to do that her husband never wanted to do. And honestly, this film was great. It's funny, quirky, really touching. Uh, It does a real fine job of kind of touching on a sexuality of a woman in their later years. Uh, something you don't see in films. I'll tell you now really, as well, Emma Thompson is talented and extremely beautiful. Yeah, she's it, she's so good in this. Like, <laughs> it doesn't rush Thompson's character into sex, so it isn't a case of she's had a sex worker and they have a meal mm. and they have sex and then a relationship blossoms between them. Like They, they take it slow. She's very nervous uh, about it, very awkward. Um and she just she she starts to talk about a family and his family and and trying to get to know him more and it's very stagey. It's set just in a hotel room and a hotel bar. They're the only two settings, so it's very much like it could have been a stage show. Um, but yeah, it's just it's really good. Like both leads have great chemistry and bounce off each other really well. And like I said, Thompson plays it perfectly. It had me laughing out loud on several occasions. And massive kudos to Thompson. Um, because she must have taken some courage to film some of the scenes. Oh, yeah. National um, treasure. Yeah, it's a film about sex, so there are sex scenes and nudity and stuff, so... Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the main thing I want to talk about this week is Triple R. R-R-R. A Indian Telugu, Telugu language epic action drama film. I know of it. Yes, so this is on Netflix. It's a <laughs> film, it's set in the 1920s with the British government ruled over India as a tyrannical governor and his sadistic wife. Uh, they visit this um, tribe called the Gone Tribe and they basically forcefully take away Mali. It's a young girl with a gift for singing. And the tribe's protector, uh, Bahim, heads off to Delhi in search of the missing girl. And Officer Rama Raju volunteers to catch Bahim in order to get a promotion. This is a fictional tale, 
but it's using real life revolutionaries. Um, yeah. So they're the they're the central two characters. They are real people in real life, but they're telling this story, and it's just fucking amazing and absolutely insane. And the best way to describe this film is just the word epic. Like everything it's, it's storytelling. Got, it's got Ram Charan in it, and he's fucking known for that. It's he's set pieces, badass uh, action. There's a few dance sequences in there. It's just pure joy, honestly. The it's, these are right at the start of the films, but the way they introduce Rama is he's just like battering the shit out of this huge crowd who are trying to mm. uh, get into a police station, uh, and he just fights all these people off and it's done in such an over the top way. And you're like, there's no way that this one man would be able to take on all these people. But they do it in such a way where you actually believe, oh, yeah, he is taking on all these people and managing to survive. And then the way they bring uh, Bahim into the film is he fights a tiger. Yeah. It's in the trailer. It's in the promotional video and stuff. And you know that scene where Captain America holds the helicopter and pulls it in? His muscles are all, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a moment in this that rivals that. (laughs) With him, he's just this Adonis, like just holding this tiger, and his muscles are like just popping everywhere. Good but man. that kind of that kind of gives you the setups. Like I know what kind of film I'm going into here. Yeah, like I have a few quibbles with some of the pace. It's a three-hour-long film, so it's not um, short. It's a mixture of uh, English and uh, Indian language, so you do have some of the stuff. It's just English people speak English, and then you have subtitles for the other stuff and. Yeah, a few quibbles, the piercing, the British actors, even Ray Stevenson, who is the uh, governor, they're all terrible. <laughs> don't know why. They're just <laughs> all really bad. Some of them are trying to play it really straight. Some of them are really caricature-like. You can be I, I don't get it. Yeah. I watched can... the making of this, and it's to do with the fact that the um, the director wanted the English people to be more pronounced. and um, What was it? What was it wordy? It's like dumbed down a little bit. Yeah, I mean they so do really, they do a really good job of of showing how fucking awful the British were are. <laughs> yeah, they are <laughs> really fucking bad. Like the like they're the villain of the piece, and rightly so. Like the the woman, um, Catherine, the the uh, governor's wife, she's fucking awful, awful actress, but awful character. Uh, but yeah, it's really weird, and they all they all sound like they're slightly dubbed over as well. So it's the sound with the English actors is it's really weird, but. Yeah. Um, is meant to be this kind of um, spectre and he's coming into Delhi he's going to tear the soul out of Delhi and he, until he rescues this girl on this mission yet to establish the friendship with Rama they kind of go off riding around on the bikes and dancing and playing games and doing things and like, this feels really weird And but you understand why mm. they do that like, I'm not trying to ruin anything there. That's kind of the setup, really. It's like these two meet and they form a friendship, and they have to show with why they become so close. But it kind of distracts from the main mission, and it's a bit weird. But other than that, everything else is is class. Even the over the top set pieces that clearly defy the laws of gravity and physics. Uh, <laughs> there is a literal gate crashing scene, and holy fuck, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. It is incredible this this scene is i didn't know what they were doing or how they were going to do this and when something happens i was like fuck me that's amazing it's so good mm. yeah I, 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 
So with, you know, when you had this massive spike in Korean films and TV shows, personally, mm-hmm. I haven't seen, as far as I'm aware, any Indian movies. I know Bollywood's been around for a long time, but do you think, because I've heard about this movie, a lot of people are talking about this. Do you think this is going to get a spiky bit of interest into people now checking out, out while, though, other Indian movies? Yeah, no, it could do. Um, like I said, I've been on the, the forum I go on and, and people are listing other films for people to check out. And um, I don't know any. I've really had no interest I do know, in I do know that before. Hollywood's probably worth more than Hollywood at the moment, isn't it? It's, mm. Hollywood's huge. And it's not, um, from my kind of understanding from Bollywood is you only ever see those kind of funny clips of stuff, uh, you know, like the, Superman, I think it was a Superman one, Biggie sure does. Yeah. Or the one was killing someone with a banana or something. That was really old though. Was yeah. Really old. And that and, and song and dance numbers. Yeah. Whereas this does this it. does have a song and dance number in it, but it, it's within the context of the film, they're at a party, so it makes sense. Yeah. It isn't like a typical musical where all of a sudden they just break out into dance. The songs, by the way, in this uh they're all subtitled as well, so you can read along what they're going on. But they're so good. Like mm. The action set pieces are going off and there's these songs going off and you can read what they're saying and it's telling the story of kind of what's happening and stuff but within the song and but the songs are class so yeah i think there's um is it i'm not i'm gonna watch this pronunciation is it bahu bali yeah yeah that's like a huge um big, big film for uh indian film i'd i'd really like to uh to watch them too you love it You'll, yeah yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few. I'll send you some that I've I've watched. I watched it in. Um, I watched a lot when I was doing music at college because obviously big big theming on music in there, and there's some absolute bangers. Yeah, I, I love how colourful Bollywood films are and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you can't about. always mistake Bollywood with Indian movies because they look sometimes quite different beasts. There's different dialects and languages and cultures yeah. and stuff, isn't there? Yeah, so I understand yeah. that. And, and, you can and tell there's a I difference kinda... when you watch one or the other. Yeah, I know I'm kind of throwing a blanket over it when I say Indian mm-hmm. film, but yeah, it's very uncultured in that um, film genre and film. Hey, you're dipping your toes in, mate. Yeah, it, like I said, it's three hours long, but there is a point in the middle where you could perfectly stop this and go back to it another night if you wanted to watch mm-hmm. it in two parts. Three hours um, is nothing, mate. Yeah, I, I I like to watch films all the way through, but yeah, Triple R, um, it's on Netflix. I would really seek it out. It's like no action film I've ever seen. Just with the name title, does it mean anything in the movie, or would that spoil something? I can't remember what it is. It tells you. Um, it was something. Yeah. Just curious, really. It's just an unusual title, isn't it? It's, it starts off and says the story. Oh, Triple X isn't. <laughs> it's the name of the character. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, is it, though? <laughs> it says the story, and it uses the R in the story, the water, the fire, and uses the R yeah. out of them. But that's not what it stands for. It then it then does kind of give you what the three R's stand for and and blanking on what it is, but it's that's not cool. really that important. But yeah. I did cool. try and look. But yeah, great. Watch that. Watch both those films nice. actually. They're both great. Nice busy week, Stig. I'm sure you've got more to chat in the green room. Now, Gadget. You've been on holiday. I've. Have you been up to man? You've been on holiday? Um <laughs> I've been up to up up to plenty. Like give Giving you the quick rundown of things I've done, I went to, I went to the cinema to see uh, Doc, Doctor Strange two. Meh. <laughs> the big old pile of meh. Some good ideas. Still in it. Just not done well. 
Just yeah. saying, because the stuff that was done really well was fucking amazing. Did you like the, uh, all I'm going to say is the music fight? Yes, loved it. That was fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was, when me and Stig were talking about when, when we first saw it the week it came out. That's what we were alluding to. There's a bit in it that Gadget's going to love, and it was that bit. Yeah, absolutely adored it. Um, I liked the Red Cloud. I thought that was fucking brilliant. Red Cloud, yeah. 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 Some very Raimi moments in there, but you can also see that the studios kind of pulled them back on a lot of stuff, which is fucking annoying. Yeah. But like Raimi, Disney Plus down. now as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to know one of the things that Remy wanted to do? What do you want to do? Um, he's put this out. It's not in the film. It won't be in the film. Um, you know, is it Baron Mordor? Yeah. 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 So the, this this version, the one from Doctor Strange 1, was going to have the villain, what's spoil it, the villain go to Doctor Strange with his head in their hand Ooh, and wow. throw it at his feet. <laughs> I was like, I oh, no wonder they cut that out. I was gonna say that would be a bit much for the MCU. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I wish people would let Sam Raimi be Sam Raimi more. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, next, next thing I want to talk about it's it, it it is that that time of the year where it is a uh, summer games done quick has just started today. Uh, so I'll just give the is give, it that time again. Yeah, six months since the last one. So I'll give the six the the, the, the every six month thing where I say go watch it. The uh, ru- <laughs> runs I'm looking forward to uh, this time are Halo Infinite in an hour and 25. Uh, game game of the year. a lot of grapple hooking. A lot of grapple hooking. <laughs> Tunic in 40 minutes. Advance Wars in an hour. What? Devil May Cry on Dante Must Die difficulty and getting all collectibles. An hour and a half. Bollocks! That's not gonna work. How do these people do these things? <laughs> That's not gonna work. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise. So this one, they, they call it Magnamalo percent, which is basically they get to the point where they've beaten Magnamalo, which kind of ends the base level story uh, in an hour and fifteen. Which I again, no idea how they're gonna do that one. Uh, That's just mental. <laughs> uh, Half Life Alex in fifty minutes. Is that the VR one? That's the VR one. It's such a precise game, though. Yeah. Oh, these people. Are yeah, weirdos. but in in Half Life, Alex, you do spend a lot of time just fucking around with the environment. You do. So if yeah. you are yeah. just if you are just mainlining the mission, I bet in um, this game's done quick. Half uh, Life, Alex, they ain't drawing dicks on whiteboards, are they? <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> sitting and playing the piano for ten minutes like I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it'd be uh, funny if they did fit that in. Yeah, yeah. Just gonna do a cheeky dick. <laughs> and, and 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 the last one, which I'm really keen to see, it's actually it's the the last one of the last one of the week. So this is like Sunday morning, super early. Um, Elden Ring, all the remembrances that's beaten all like the god tier enemies or the demigod em- enemies yep. in two hours. Now, I did beat Elden Ring. Um. What's it called? Uh, New Game Plus 3. So I'd already beat it twice before that in five hours, and I thought that was impressive. But I was over-leveled, and I knew exactly where to go. Yeah. but you, is, you, you, you you, mental. You probably also didn't do all of the demigod bosses. No, did I heck? Did I heck? I just mainlined it for the platinum. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So two hours for that, that's a fucking massive game. So I'm really excited for that. So uh, tw- it's twitch.tv slash quick, and I've already ordered the T-shirts and everything, so... Yeah, I, I, I love this show. You I love, love a bit of it. You love I it. I do. You? I love speedrunning yeah. and I love watching them. It's something I wish I had the time to dedicate to learn. I'd love to learn a speedrun. But 
Uh, oh, uh, and the, the, there's a Metroid Dread speed run at some point during the week as well, and I do enjoy watching that speed <laughs> speed run because when someone's very good at Metroid Dread, it's very fun to watch. I such really a good play of that game. I really yeah. need to. Play. Oh mate, it's superb. Um, Picked I one. switch up and start playing another game, and I was like Metroid Dread, and I, I start playing Silk. <laughs> And, it's um, only a few yeah. short, so. and actually, literally, just as we're talking now, one other run that I'm interested in, I'll obviously have to go back and watch the VOD because we're recording. Uh, orig- original Mass Effect in an hour and 35. Fuck off! It's <laughs> <laughs> a 40 hour game. <laughs> what the fuck do you do that? I don't know. By skipping. <laughs> well, it's, uh, the, the run category specifies no Mako glitch because there is a Mako glitch that lets you teleport, yeah, yeah, you teleport can, around you can, the galaxy. You can, so it's doing it yeah, without you that. Can. So, um, it's four wow. hours just to drive that fucker. <laughs> you only have to actively drive it for the story. I think it's three times in the game. Yeah, so. yeah. No, no, they're all side things, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. But the, the, the main thing I want to talk about is um, is uh, an, uh, an EP that's come out. Um, and, you know, and you know how we're big on uh, talking up our community and the, their achievements in life? So yeah. this is an EP released by one of our community members. and um, Collusion! Oh, yeah, co- yeah, collusion. Full <laughs> transparency, the bass player of the band is my best friend. Um, <laughs> oh, here we go. This is, so, this, so this is the new EP from Cadence Noir. And um, it's, it's got a great fucking title. Return of the Electric Bin Bags. Nice. So if you haven't heard Cadence Noir before, uh, they are a group from Nottingham. They are a, a five-piece band who describe themselves as... Folk punk goth with a slightly romantic edge to them. And okay. they are self-described loony lefties who shout about politics all the time and cause an absolute fucking riotous noise. Uh, I've been following, following them for years. Uh, since they've been around for about 10 years, just in and around the kind of Nottingham area. And they're fucking amazing. It's just this weird kind of blend and mash of different sounds. Um, they're one of these bands that have violin players. They all have... Different looks. There's a lot of leather, leather in this band. I would heartily recommend it. Okay. I'm going to give you a clip of the opening track from the album called Statuesque. I've always looked about Cadence Noir is all the songs sound quite different so like the song you just heard Statuesque is what you would consider their most typical sound it is folky punky it's got a nice kind of sound to it got a nice little melody um, but there's tracks on it so there's the Donkey and the Elephant which is taking the piss out of American politics which has one of the grooviest kind of muse sounding riffs that I've ever heard um, Black and Decker is this kind of very sweet sounding um, song with like a lot of kind of echo to it uh, but something, something, nuclear war is, and I was talking to Tom, the uh, bass player, about this. Was their attempt at doing thrash, and it sounds like if Testament had bought a violin instead of a guitar. It's now you've got fucking it. incredible. Um, and the last I've just listened to that. That was good. Yeah, and the, la- the- yeah. <laughs> and the the last track on there, washing up, um, is about. It's kind of like it's like a mournful, but yet slightly angry song about the pandemic about like the people that were lost and stuff like that. 
Uh, mm, first time I listened, I had a little tear in my eye at the end of it. Oh, man. Um, absolutely fantastic band. So it's a fi- five-track EP. You can get it on Spotify or whatever, but if you go onto their band camp, which I'll link in the uh, show notes, you can pick up the CD version of it for a fiver, and I'd really recommend it because Cadence Noir are just fucking brilliant, and I want to kind of talk this band up. They, they've, done, they've played Download before. They've, uh, they, they won Metal to the Masses Battle of the Bands Didn't competition. They? they beat metal bands. They're not a metal band. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, oh, they are that okay. good. They are brilliant. So everyone should go and listen to them. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Gonna do. They're on Spotify, yeah? Yeah, they're on, yeah, they're on Spotify. And all like Amazon yeah. Music and all that kind of thing. Yep. Of course, we will outro, outro the uh, Patreon with one of their songs. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think, I think that can be arranged. Maybe, uh, the, what, one of their songs from one of their earlier releases um, is called Hashtag F... Uh, FFBB, which is just how, which, uh, the lyric. The lyric in the song is, "It's not, it's not kiss, kiss, bang, bang. It's fuck, fuck, boom, boom." Star of my life. Yeah, <laughs> that one might work for it. Uh, but yeah, go listen to Cadence tomorrow, everybody. Gonna do, gonna do. I like the uh, the band name as well. That's that's cool. Oh yeah, very gothy. Very mighty Boosh. The, 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 there's an element of Boosh-ness to them. <laughs> yes, I like it. I like it. Cool, cool. Keep resting bigger because it's my turn now. I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let you off till the end. Um, I've not done this much this week um, because, as you guys are aware, my internet was down and it was a sad dark three, nearly four days of no internet. That's terrible. I, I had to watch a DVD, guys. A DVD. <laughs> Physical media and you. Oh, I got loads. Yeah, Look at that behind me. Yeah, I am. I've only got Lord of the Rings, so I had to watch that again for the nine millionth time. You're going to tell us about it, yeah? No, no, (laughs) I'm not reviewing Lord of the Rings on this podcast. It's all right. No, I'm going to review a film that I managed to catch when my internet came back. It's a film. Oh, yeah, it's all about jewelry, isn't it? Um, Yeah, this is a film called Burnt from 2015. It is now available on Netflix. So, the synopsis. Adam Jones is a chef who destroyed his career with drugs and diva behaviour. He cleans up and returns to London determined to redeem himself by spearheading a top restaurant that can gain three Michelin stars. So, me watching a chef thing. That's already good. Already a red flag, but yeah. So, this film is directed by John Wells. Uh, He did a lot of the best uh, West Wing episodes and stuff. Uh, The stars... This is this for a lineup: Bradley Cooper, Sienna Miller, Daniel Brühl, and bit parts by National Treasure Emma Thompson, Uma Thurman, Alicia Vikander, Lily James, Omar Sy, and Matthew Reese. That's a good fucking cast. That's a very good, good cast. cast. Has anyone seen this? Burnt. Heard of it? I've, I've heard it. of it, and I've heard of the reviews for it. <clears throat> yeah. So, the film, in a nutshell, this is a character-driven story about a man. Fallen from grace, as the synopsis said, attempting to get that spark back, doing what he loves and not letting anything get in his way. It's got a bit of a whiplash vibe to it, but it ends up just being another Bradley Cooper is damaged story. Do you know that Bradley Cooper damaged story that we always see? Oh, Bradley oh yeah, they're yeah. so damaged. It is enjoyable, but it's not as good as it could have been with cast that they had on display. <sighs> It's a proper like six out of ten for me, <clears throat> and 
the reason I started watching it, because I heard on a podcast, I can't remember what podcast it was, but someone was saying that Bradley Cooper in Burnt is his best role he's ever done. Now, he's not my favourite actor in first place. I, I liked him in A Star is Born. I liked him a lot better at, at that broken man in that film. I think he's fantastic in that. Yeah. But in this, this kind of story's been done better. Like uh, the one, um, the chef film called Chef. That's a good film. <laughs> Chef's uh, John awesome. Favreau. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot better. And um, the one with um, Stephen Graham that came out. Boiling Point. Boiling Point. That was even better. <clears throat> but it's got that kind of thing. It's got that kind of vibe. So if you like Boiling Point, you'd, you'd, you'd kind of be into it. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know why I was pointed towards this. I, I kind of. It's not. It won't waste my time. It's only an hour and a half film. It's not a. You know what I mean? It's not a lengthy one. And the people in it are good. He's good, but I don't know. There's just. It's too obvious. It's an obvious film. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, you, you can already predict how it ends right now. Yeah. Because it's Bradley Cooper being. Oh no! I'm so good looking. It's awful. In my day, but really. Yeah, I, I kind of recommend it as in it's a nice, there's a little bit of tension to it, and it's an hour and a half, so it's not going to upset you. It's literally less time than an episode of Stranger Things nowadays, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's on Netflix. I think it's number four in their little charts. It's not terrible. Six six out of five. If you're really into food, maybe even a seven out of five, because there's some seven out great of five. shots. Uh, seven, out of, <laughs> seven out of ten. Sorry. Uh, but there's some really nice shots of like posh food. You know, food where it doesn't fill you, you're just having it for the taste, that kind of yeah. Michelin food. Like, so we'll get a McDonald's after this, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's all right. But that's that's all I've really done other than read books and watch Lord of the Rings because the, the internet was down. Do you know what? In my house, it was as if the electric was off, mate. It was. <laughs> Outside, like to experience the world. <laughs> no, so, graphics so, are shit. So, so <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess this makes you a twenty first century digital boy. You don't know how to live, but you got a lot of toys. That's exactly that's exactly <laughs> how I am. It, it, I I, I kind of coped. It was the kids, man. Have you ever seen a kid that can't watch YouTube? There's a reason I don't have children. Oh, it's horrendous. Uh, it'd be on that. It should be on my phone. Can I watch it on your phone? I watch it on your phone. Yeah, they did for a little bit on mine. I'm like, come on, come on now. Daddy wants his phone back. <laughs> oh, yeah, fucking shy. Biggie, round it off. So I'm at that conundrum, which I'm not happy about, is that I've basically caught up with a lot of TV shows. and I'm now at the end of this break where they've decided to break it in the middle so that we have to wait a month or however many weeks for the next lot. So I've caught up with Stranger Things 4. I've watched Better Call Saul. You've got to wait a week finally. for Stranger Things, mate. Come on. <laughs> but since it's been a few weeks since I've finished it. Um, oh. the, the Boys, oh my God. Say nothing, I'm not caught up yet. Mate. Yeah, the last episode <laughs> was. It's, it's one of the best ones they've done. It is a gold standard. It's it was insane. so good. Yeah. And for those that are into the comics, I always wondered if this would ever appear in... The TV and show, did. and they fucking have. And we're not spoiling oh, it, we're not going to say anything God. for those who haven't seen it, but it's mental. That, that wasn't and even the most interesting thing about the episode for me. No, just yeah. it's just bit after bit after bit. The yeah, whole, it was just, yeah. It's a proper, I assume, is this the end until 
I'm not sure if there's any more. No, 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 no. Next, now there's two next more episodes. Oh, that's yeah. fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's mental. <laughs> but the other thing that I have finished is Kenobi. Yeah, let's deep dive. Little, so we I... have a little spoiler warning-ish kind of thing because yeah. we're not going to spoil the story, but we'll put one in. Put one in. Put one okay, in. Okay, I'll put the glass. Have, have we all watched it? We've all seen it. I haven't seen it, catch- but I'm not. I'm, I'm probably not going to. He's not asked. <laughs> I'm. I'm kind of like Star Wars out. I'm all Star Wars done. Yeah, this plus, is good. Plus, I've, I've I've liked this one yeah. to be honest. Plus, plus someone on Reddit spoiled, spoiled something from the last episode for me, and now I'm actually oh. mildly miffed. Right, so spoiler one is up. If you want to avoid spoilers for Kenobi, skip ahead to one hour, two minutes, and thirty seconds. I'm yeah, saying it now, um, Biggie. Before you, before you go on, I'm saying it now. I'm back in on Star Wars after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in, baby. I am back the fuck in. I think with the oh yeah, and that was the other thing I fucking finished was Boba Fett. Fuck me. Um, but yeah, it's it's been real hit and miss with these spin-offs, but I think Kenobi's definitely a hit. Um, we we've spoken about it before, but McGregor's really good as Kenobi. I think he's really got into the role. Um, he certainly is the main focal point of this show. I think he's done really well. Um, and he's surrounded by a decent cast. I think everyone else that's um, been brought in for all the different roles, whether they're for the Empire. Little Leia. Or just... Oh, she's a sweeter. Yeah, I, I just think. And the weird thing that I realized is that the character, the kids that they've picked kind of do resemble yeah. people that are going to be older, which I think is good. Because sometimes, you know, when they get kids to play actors, when they're young and they look fuck all like them. I am, I am sorry. I am sorry though, but the, the little kid that's playing Luke Skywalker is crap. He's just oh, crap. Yeah. Acting wise, he's not brilliant. He's he looking at camera. <laughs> he was only in it for about five minutes total. Though, yeah, that, luckily. But but the little layer. Wow. Jesus. Yeah, it's star. it's played a bit with the legacy. Um, it's changed a few things. The things don't make sense and all that kind of crap. But yeah, you know what? It, it gave me the Star Wars feels. I've really enjoyed it. Each episode of has been pretty good. Um, Vader's there. You know, it, it, it's it's just... Is it? <laughs> but yeah, I think the dynamic is there. Hayden Christian's actually uh, doing well as Vader this time around. Do you know what? People complained about Vader being too fan servicing and powerful. And to me, I'm like, he's kind of not shown to be like this in the original trilogy. I think that's just kind of the time that it was filmed. That And, and but, the fact that he was an aged man. Yeah, but the need to show why he's so fucking good, and this show yeah. does. Like, if you thought that scene in Rogue One showed how awesome he was, there is, a, is fight, there's a fight in this series where he just takes the piss, and you're like, fuck yeah. me, Vader is. He's awesome. doing it deliberately, isn't he? Yeah. He's doing it deliberately. He's toying he's with people, and yeah. he's so fucking good. Do you know my favourite thing about by everybody else in the Empire? You know, you, you don't really see why that is until yeah. now. Apart my from my favourite uh, thing about uh, new Tarkin, oh, <laughs> he's the only one that didn't, <laughs> didn't fear Vader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my my favourite thing about new Vader is his one-handed lightsaber style. Yeah, he's just good. Dash, dash, dash. Like he's got a rapier. It's fucking fantastic, and and then and then that's the only good thing from the prequels is when you see Anakin Skywalker when he's, he's sparring off, he starts doing that a little bit. So they've t- it's like whoa, whoa, and that's when he always gets in trouble. It's like you're being too impulsive. You're doing it one-handed. Stop it. 
But uh, I'm very conscious. I don't, like, how are you going to watch this gadget, or can I yep. go into some details? No, right. go, go into spoilers. Right. So what this show does so well for me was Vader was one handed. And it almost, uh, I don't need to use both hands. I can defeat you with one hand. And I yeah. can do force stuff with this hand. At one point, he doesn't even need a lightsaber. He wins a fight oh. without a lightsaber. That's how fucking good he is. And that final fight with Kenobi, he has to resort to doing two hands. He has to resort back to the, the teachings was younger. of Kenobi and when he was younger because he can't deal with Obi-Wan having his, getting his power back and becoming his yeah. equal. And I thought it was brilliant. And the moment... Because you know Vader's always got, when he takes his helmet off in uh, Return of the Jedi, he's got a scar on his head. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't at the start of the show. And then the final so fight, they, they make sure that they get that in there and they have this scene where his face is showing and it's skipping between Hayden Christensen's voice and James Earl Jones' yeah. Vader voice. And it's just the lighting it's his eye you can only see one of his eyes yeah. the motion he's got and mm. his voice comes through and is and the, the one of my favourite lines now in is Star Wars brilliant. Like, I'm going to say the line now and you'll see it all over the internet where he says you didn't kill uh, Anakin Skywalker I did and Vader saying that about himself I was like ooh yeah. you cold bastard and that's when that's when Obi-Wan's like you've gone that's it You're, we're not yeah. friends you are yeah. you are dead You Anakin Skywalker is dead and People were saying, how is this going to link up with, with A New Hope? But in A New Hope, Alec Guinness does say he was killed by, by Darth Vader. And Darth Vader says it to him, so it, 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 it tracks. He, didn't lie. he never lied. He never lied. He never lied. Like I was saying about the light in there, where he says, you didn't kill him, I did. And he, and he brings his lightsaber up and it lights his face up in red. Yeah. It's, like, it's, <laughs> it's just, so good. It is, it's just so good. There is a few shit things in this series, yeah. I'm not going to lie. The main stuff between Vader and Obi Wan, I, I really loved the yeah. the Reva stuff. Some of it was her, some of her decisions and uh, the reasons she was doing things didn't make sense. I like the character, I like the Inquisitors and everything, but she never her, felt full body. Her me. reasoning for going after Luke at the end made fuck all sense, and because she's not in anything else, I thought that the last fight would be Kenobi and her, and he would have to kill her. But and then, and then the people complaining, oh, he doesn't kill Vader. Well, a, he can't kill Vader because we know how can he? He can. <laughs> but also that line where he says, "Last we met, uh, I was the uh, learner or something, and you were the master." Yeah, something along yeah. those lines. He says, "Now I'm the master." Yeah, and I, my taking away from this fight is, he still wasn't the master. He thought he was when he went into that thought fight. He was. He lost to Kenobi, and he's like, he was still the learner. He still wasn't the master. He's now gone away for the last nine, ten years, trained harder under Palpatine, and he is now a master Sith Lord. And then he sees himself, now I am stronger than you. And that's yeah. that's the way to and get easily, around that line. He easily line. beats him, doesn't he, on the, yeah. on the Death Star? He easily yeah. beats him. Well, he lets him kill him. So, yeah, let's yeah. him kill him because he's going to be stronger than you can possibly yeah. imagine. But it does it's just, you know that it does make in, you laugh um, when you see that lightsaber fight now on in a new hope <laughs> where they're just kind of touching tips. But it's like in New Hope where there's that scene where um, Vader feels the presence of Kenobi and he goes, "I haven't felt this presence since." And then he just looks up for a second. And you always wonder what he was referring back to, but it, I think it's now now we do this fight. Yeah. It's that moment that was I the think, last time I, they met until the Death yeah. Star. 
I'm assuming so, anyway. But yeah, yeah, I think it was really good. It people ties are it all saying up nicely. That, I, I, cry. I don't want another series. Yeah. I'm not bothered about another series. People, yeah, people are saying that. We need, we need, we need another one too. I'm like, no, we don't. What's it going to be? How he got his hair white and cut it? You know what I mean? <laughs> Who fucking cares? Who cares? It's 19 yeah. years difference. It was a nice well, the story. To use they, well, and I they did well, yeah. And they rounded it up, I think, in, per, in as well as they could do in terms of Leia's connection to him and that and stuff like that and why Luke doesn't know who he is and why Vader didn't go after him even after this. It's all kind of I liked seeing uh, older nice line stuff as well. That was nice, weren't it? Well, we've got to see Alderaan, the uh, Leia's home. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that gets blown up. <laughs> you see the memes of the, the couple, Leia's parents. They're going, "Oh, such a lovely couple. I hope they end up being all right." They <laughs> 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 did. I did see someone today go. Um, it was a tweet, and it said, "Oh, bring back for series two. Bring back uh, General Grievous as the bad guy." And the, someone quoted it goes, he, "He literally blew up." Like, yeah, he, <laughs> I know that Star Wars has a habit of bringing people back these days, but he, he blew up. He's dead. He's gone. No, he did. He did. Yeah. He did. Oh, and yeah, one, one last thing. I know. I know we can go on this forever. It's not Kenobi spoiler cast. Why didn't he kill Vader as well? Because he's a Jedi, and a Jedi doesn't kill a defenseless kill man on his knees. Yep. yep. And someone tried to tell me that, well, Anakin killed Dooku. I was like, Anakin was already what happened to it? He was already <laughs> on his way to the dark side, and <laughs> yeah. he did that at Palpatine's. Palpatine said, do it. Like, he was already yeah. on his way to the dark side, and look what happened when he did kill a man, a defenseless man. So that, that's why he didn't kill him. In in the whole Star Wars canon we've ever seen, Jedi's only kill clone troopers and stormtroopers. In yeah, defense, or, or yeah, I've you know in defense if necessary, not yeah, a man. They like, kill droids mainly. Yeah, <laughs> and and people say, oh, but then he's Vader goes off and does that and blows up planets. Do you not think the Empire would have just done that without Vader? Yeah, of course they would. Well, exactly. So <laughs> he didn't. He didn't build the Death Star. Yeah, he just found a new apprentice and made a new yeah. Sith Lord. Like. Yeah, Star Killer. Remember him? Yeah. <laughs> in fact, if anything, Vader wasn't impressed by the Death Star. No, he didn't like it. He called it the mechanical terror or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he didn't like it. He wasn't. It's only because he was scared of Grand Moff Tarkin that he let it happen. <laughs> and everyone's scared of him. It's Peter yeah. Cushion. You've got to be scared of Peter yeah, Cushion. Yeah, you're going to be. Oof. But yeah, it's, it's oh, really good. I'm glad I got that off my chest. <laughs> you, you, you can release the. Uh, the plasma wall of spoilerdom now. Is that all you've done this week then? That's it, dude. Excellent, excellent. We're going to go on to the main topic now. And I'm going to lead this. We're going to do double acts. Um, those of you that were listening last week, we'd planned double act for years. No, we hadn't. We did it off the, off the cuff. <laughs> so we did double acts. You'd never know with the edit. Got... <laughs> yeah, you'll never know with it because we've got something special planned that you'll hear about later. So, yeah, the main topic, we're doing double acts um, in media in general. So it could be music, could be games, could be TV, could be comedians and stuff like that. I want to know, because I've never really operated in a double act format, and I don't know if you guys have, if you've got a little sidekick anywhere, anything like that. So I just want to know who your favourite double acts are, and I want to start with Gadget. Gadget, ooh. Well, see, I want to talk about a double act. They're, they're a comedy double act. A musical comedy mm. double act. Mm. 
They're not the greatest band in the world. They're just a tribute. It is Tenacious D. <laughs> Jack Black and Kyle Gass. Uh, is that his real name, Kyle Gass? Yeah. It's brilliant. That's a really good name. <laughs> or Jables and the Rage Cage. Yeah. Uh, God damn it, Cage. I was, I, I, was, I was doing a bit of reading up on them. I didn't realise that they met in 1986. Wow, have they been in acts since then? Be, well, they've been in acts since the mid-90s, but basically they met, they met and started making music together in 86. Wow. Yeah. Um, so t- so t- Tenacious D uh, formed as a band in the, in the mid-90s. They did like the kind of the comedy circuits around LA. They got friendly with David Cross from Arrested Development, who helped them secure like kind of meeting talent agents, talent against that, and they ended up Weren't getting... Were like things like the Groundlings and stuff like that? Kind of scene, yeah. Sort of that, like they, they, they just did a lot comedy of, scene. Yeah, they just ran around the scene eff- eff- effectively in uh, L.A. And they ended up before their first album came out. They had a three-season run on HBO of a show of a TV show of Tenacious D. Really? Yeah. And like, if you've not seen that, it's middling to okay. It's not brilliant. <laughs> but when but when when you watch it, you get like a lot of the kind of the proto songs. Like you see, like there is like an early version of tribute in that. Um, oh, wow. And it's done as a sketch where you know they're walking down, a, they're hitchhiking down a long and lonesome road, and the devil shines devil a shiny went down demon. To Georgia, isn't it? Well, yeah, basically. Um, and they, um, and yeah, and it was after that they did the three series of that, and then they got the record deal, put a full band together, and released their self-titled debut album in two thousand and one, and it is a wall-to-wall banger. There's not a bad song in that the, album. Is this the, the, the black CD cover with the, them and the devil yeah. behind them? Is it that one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, only th- the only thing I don't like about that album is it's got like comedy skits in it, which I think I just never like them in it's albums. It's that inward singing. Yeah. Um, or the fucking drive through one and shit like that. Like, um, and I, like, I, I never like skits. Like, I, I, like, you know, I never like them on Eminem albums and stuff like that. It's just, it's, no. I've always find it stupid. Actually, oh, there that, is one. It? There is one. I think on there which makes you laugh. Right? Someone, you think Kyle's trying to say something? Jack Black just keeps going. Next song. Next song. He's just oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, it was the one note song. Song. It's just yeah. I thought that was just. Uh, I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember when I first got that album. Like I'd heard tribute on Karan all the time. Um, oh, mate, it was on after every song. It was. I mean, quite <laughs> rightly, it's fucking amazing. Um, yeah. But like that's uh, <laughs> that's that album opens with uh, Keel Bassa, and I remember giggling it because it, because it started it starts it starts kind of with a skit, and it's like it's like ah oh, fuck, we better write a new song. And like, Kyle plays a chord. Like, nope, nope, bad start. Don't like that. Really, nope, terrible start. <laughs> and he plays another one, <laughs> better, closer, warmer, and then he hits like. I think it's an E minor, is it? And that's it. And then they just start playing the song about dicks, and it's really fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, is this the one with like um, with Karelia kick your ass? Yep. Is it that one? Yeah. So I always forget which is which with them. Yeah. So yeah. So that one's got like karate. It's got double team city hall. Rock your socks off. So for that, mm. and tribute. Two, three, four, five, five, six, six, six. Yeah. Give it up, gently. Hey, G, give it up for me. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I heard that in years. <laughs> so there's two singles off that first album. So there was Tribute, which is, you know, they'd forgotten the greatest song in the world, so they wrote a tribute. They're actually... <laughs> I thought for the longest time that they were tributing Stairway to Heaven because the chords to it are the same as Stairway to Heaven. It ends in the, the beginning chords of Stairway to Heaven yeah, as well. but they're not. It was um, Metallica's one that inspired them to do it. 
Really? Because 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 uh, I was reading about it, and they've said this in interviews, and um, basically Jack Black considers that to be the greatest song of all time, and and Oof. and he was and he was in conversation with Carol saying it would be amazing if we could record something like this, and Carol pointed out we would never be able to write the greatest song in the world, but we can write a tribute to it, and that's where the that's concept clever. for the song came it from. It is such a clever idea. It is such a clever is- idea for a song, though, isn't it? Like- yeah. We're going to do a tribute to the greatest song, but in the song, do, we aren't going to tell I, you what that song is. I don't want to insult people's intelligence in any way, but I reckon a lot of people don't realise that is what the song is saying. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm not in trying to insult people, but if you ask what's tribute about, they'll be like, oh, it's just a song about the greatest song in the world. I'm like, but is it that song? No, it's not. Do you know what I mean? I don't think people would know that. Well, you, you, you know, it didn't actually sound anything like this song. Exactly, that's what it's I mean. That's what I mean. Um, yeah, and that's uh, didn't they do that song on the film as well? The actual song that they're basing that off of. Yeah, like yeah, Beelzebub. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Beelzebub. So I was going to get to that. So, so yeah. So they released two singles off that. They did Wonder Boy as well, which was also fucking incredible. Uh, mm. And then he's good. Their second album was based the soundtrack to their film Tenacious D in uh, in the pick, with the Pick of Destiny, and the film yeah. was not good. Really? <laughs> nope. I know people that love it. it no, no, it was not good. Uh, it had some good moments. I bet, yeah. I bet Candy loves it. I, I, I bet she does, yeah. loves it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like the opening song. I like Kickapoo, where you had like Meatloaf and Ronnie James Dio in it. <laughs> yeah, and Dio in it. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, I didn't watch that in years either. Fucking hell. And, um, uh, the government fucking sucks. It was also pretty funny. Uh, mm. But then you get the ending song, which is so that the story. The story of the film is that 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 Tenacious D come together and they 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 need to find the Pick of Destiny, which is a broken off demon's tooth, to um to to help them um reach the status of rock gods. Didn't they want to win Battle of the Band to pay the rent? Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's um, all it was. And they um the the they end up so actually summoning the devil, and then you get the the battle that they talk about in tribute. And Beelzebos is not the greatest song in the world, but it's fucking brilliant. It's Dave Grohl, isn't it? Dave Grohl's playing the devil. Yes, because he A plays fucking horn. <laughs> well, because he plays the devil in the in the original tribute video. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh, after oh. after uh, this is one of the best qualities I like of the band because after the, after that it was about six years till they released their next album, which was Rise of the Phoenix, and about half the songs on that are taking the piss out of how poorly the Pick of Destiny did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow! Like they are just ripping wow. into themselves. Um, I do like the title track, "Rise of the Phoenix." That's a that's a little epic. That "Rise of the Phoenix" is good. Uh, the ballad of Hollywood Jack in the Rage Cage is my favorite off that one. It's a five, a five minute tru- troubadour style ballad about Kyle losing his mind because he's jealous of Jack. One I do like as well. Uh, Rody um, as well. Rody was really good. Yeah, Rody's good. And there's um. Oh, what's it called? That one. Oh, I can't remember what it's I know the one song you're talking about. Throwdown. Throwdown. Yeah, Throwdown. Throwdown. That's a good song. So, yeah, just. I had to sing it then in my head. <laughs> I love Tenacious D. I think the music they make is incredible. And, like, even just taking away the comedy st- the comedy stylings of it, um, the actual way they compose music and put songs together, none of their songs have choruses. They're all telling a story. No, they don't, do they? No, not a single one of their songs has a chorus. Um, they're all really intricately written, and they're all like kind of musically very profound. Um, like the, there's lots of really interesting compositional work on it, lots of interesting writing work. They are just really fucking good musicians. 
And Jack Black is a Jack Black as a singer is they, incredible. Um, how they sound musically, they sound a lot like when the Who started taking LSD. Yeah, it's got that vibe to it when they stop being mods. Yeah, no, yeah, okay, I, I get that. Yeah, it's very kind of rock opera, experimental. Yeah, they get some proggy moments, and yeah, it's just brilliant. And like, you know, they can put like a nine-minute-long song like City Hall out, where they're talking about just how pissed off they are with City Hall and just destroying the entire world, living in a bunker and ruling as two kings, and then killing each other. You know, mm. that's the level of escalation. And there's that Death Star song as well. Remember that one, Death Star. Uh, yes, that's a good one. So, uh, yeah, go and listen to Tenacious D, everybody. You, 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 you'll probably you, you'll either like it or you'll hate it. I think they're one of those bands. But if you get on with it, if you haven't heard Tenacious D by now, God, where have you been living? It's Jack Black. Jack Black, Come on. man, the man's a legend. School of Rock. School, and School of Rock. All the other things. Film, Jumanji. <laughs> I'm aware of them. He's probably, not my thing. Thing. It's not your thing. Not your thing. It's not your. What is your thing? What's your double act, Big E? <laughs> okay. Um. So yeah, something completely different. So around about the time that I was into my artwork, I was at art college. All that. So going back many a year, um, I discovered the comic strip Far Side, and very funny, fantastic, um, brilliant. Um, what's his name? Greg Larson. Gary yeah. Larson. Um, just incredible. There's another one that I also discovered around this time. It's Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, I love Calvin and Hobbes. Which was a daily American comic strip created by a cartoonist, Bill Waterson. Um, it was started from November 1985 and went on till December 1995. It's also been cited as the last greatest newspaper comic. It was conceived when he was working in an advertising job, which he detested. Um, he gave the idea out to several different places. It was eventually picked up by Universal Press Syndicate. It follows the humorous antics of the title characters, Calvin, a precocious, mischievous, and adventurous six-year-old boy, and Hobbes, his sardonic, stuffed tiger. So Hobbes' dual nature is a defining motive for the strip. Um, to Calvin, Hobbes is a living, um, anthropomorphic tiger in his eyes, whilst all the other characters see Hobbes as just basically this little stuffed toy. Um, Watson said, it's not a doll that miraculously comes to life when Calvin's around, yet neither is he a figment of Calvin's imagination. Calvin simply sees Hobbes one way and everyone else sees Hobbes the other way. And it has this beautiful split way of this little boy in his own little world. And then when he wants to get out of his world into his imagination is when Hobbes appears. Um, and it's just fantastic. It's very sweet, very funny. It's also um, got a lot of subtext. Covers things about political figures at the time, uh, contemporary events. It does environmentalism, public education, philosophical quandaries, opinion polls. You name it. It covers so much. It's so so fucking clever for a comic strip. Um, it just subverts um, your way of thinking. The way that every time he does something in the imaginative world, the artwork takes a real kind of almost perfectly done it's really well drawn when you're back into Calvin's real world it's a bit more cartoony um and it's just fantastic in fact the characters were apparently based on um where did i find this it's apparently based on two philosophers a philosopher and a theologian a theologian sorry um so calvin was basically supposed to be believing in predestination whereas thomas hobbes observed life that is nasty nasty brutish and short 
Hobbes had this dim view of humanity, which was a counterpart um, to whatever uh, Calvin was saying as the devil's advocate. Um, although it was set in a contemporary United States, a suburban, um, Calvin's frequent flights of imagination took it in a different direction with his long-suffering parents, his classmates, there's a bully in there somewhere, and his neighbour, which is Susie Denkins, a sweet little girl. Um, Hobbes often expresses the romantic feelings that he has for Susie, and um, to Calvin's disgust, they also start the gross Get Rid of Slimy Girls Club and have meetings in the treehouse. Um, he creates these imaginary characters that he wants to play himself. So we had Spaceman Spiff, which is this brilliant parody that he narrates in third person as well. And his characters are fighting uh, aliens and planets and um, just always crashing his play, uh, plane, his rocket. Um, you've got Tracer Bullet, which was a hard-boiled detective. Um, he says that he has eight slugs in him. One's lead and the rest are bourbon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. Um, he's got a pushy dame, which turns out to be his mum. There's a high goon, which is his father, and all sorts of things. It gets all very silly. Uh, one of the other favourite characters is a stupendous man, and he plays a superhero, uh, wears a mask and a cape that his mum made. And he's obviously a bit like Superman. Um, but he has uh, nemesis like Mum Lady, which is his mum. Annoying Girl, which is Susie Denkins again, Durkins. Crab Teacher, which is Mrs. Wormwood. And Babysitter Girl, which is obviously one of the characters, Rosalind, who looks after him. Um, but yeah, basically, Calvin just creates havoc uh, throughout all of the little comic strips. There's a start, middle, and end. Um, and they're just beautifully done. Uh, whether he uses cardboard boxes to um, transmogrify himself, create clones in his own little world. Um, he also uses uh, the box as a kiosk. And he sells brilliant things to people like suicide drink, a swift kick in the butt for $1, or a frank appraisal of your looks for 50 cents. Um, it's just really cheeky. Um, he also does Calvin Ball, where they create a mini sports event between the two characters. And basically, there's no rules whenever they play Calvin Ball. Every time they play it in the comic strip, the rules are completely different. It never makes sense, but it's always fun. <laughs> that your Calvin quizzes, also man. uses... Huh? <laughs> Is that your quiz? It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Um Snowmen um featuring there, so obviously um with America has all its horrible winters. He always is building snowmen, but he likes to create this really horrific art. He has like two snowmen, one standing up eating a snow cone, and there's another snowman on the floor with, with scoops taken out of his chest with an ice cone in it. Um he does things like a car crash with snowmen. It's just really dark, but really my, my, funny. My favorite one of the snowmen ones is it, it's one that actually doesn't feature Calvin at all. It's, it's his dad walking up the driveway, and um, mm. Calvin's made made snowmen like look like soldiers saluting him, and he's just walking up going, I, I, I don't think I should encourage this. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's so, so good. Um, and the influences, um, obviously based on uh, something like uh, Charles M. Schultz's Peanuts. This is a very similar kind of framing. But yeah, I, it was just fantastic. It's so beautiful, whether it's in black and white or later on it's in colour. Um, the comic strips, if you can find the collections, there's the, either the complete Calvin and Hobbes or there's various different books. That there's, I think there's something that maybe eight um, as a collection. But they're fantastic. Um, at the height of his popularity, it was featured in over 2,400 newspapers worldwide. And in 2010... Returns to the strip were in more than 50 countries and nearly 45 million copies of the books have been sold worldwide. 
And at one point, wow. um, it held the original record for the most money paid for an original comic strip because they're really, really hard to find. It went for $203,000 beating wow. beat the previous record held by Peanuts Original, which was at 90000 Sadly, um, Bill Waterson himself was a bit of a recluse. He relocated to New Mexico, didn't want any of the limelight that came with him being this famous comic strip artist. And the final strip ran on Sunday, December the 31st in 1995. Um, it was in colour. It depicted Calvin and Hobbes outside in a freshly fallen snow, carrying a sled. Reveling in the wonder and excitement of the winter scene, Hobbes says, everything familiar has disappeared. The world looks brand new. Calvin agrees and says, a new year, a fresh clean start. Hobbes remarks about the fresh snow. It's like having a big white sheet of paper to draw on, Calvin adds. A day of possibilities. Getting ready to sled down the hill, Calvin exclaims, it's a magical world, Hobbes old buddy. Calvin and Hobbes sled down the snowy hill, Calvin saying, let's go exploring. According to a oh. critic speaking in 2005, I left a hole in the comics page that no strip has ever been able to fill. And I just think it's so funny. It's just spot on when any any of the subject matter they're covering. Um, if you've never seen it or read it, just find it. I um, uh, I just super... had to Google it. It's the first time I've ever seen those things in my life. I've never even really? heard of it until you mentioned it. That's yeah, true. genuinely. Yeah, no, like, I've never, not... never seen those bumper stickers of Calvin taking a piss wearing a football shirt. No, I've seen Garfield. <laughs> Like I've never really just, read them. I've only seen them kind of pop up on the internet. But um, I've also never read a newspaper in my life, so that helps. I read them as the collections. I never saw them because I think um, when they came out, when I was aware of them, it was obviously in America and it wasn't really featured over here at that point. But it's yeah, all about just Striker and Hagar the Horrible, wasn't it? Yeah, but they're just so funny and sweet and intelligent for a comic strip, and they just make you smile and wonder and think, and because everything's from his viewpoint. It's just the innocence as a child, and then there's obviously the other stuff that's thrown in there for a bit of fun as well. It's just brilliant, and Hobbs is fantastic. Just as there's scenes where you just see him as a stuff, you know, toy just sort of staring like that, and then in the next picture, he's like jumping on Calvin, attacking him and stuff for fun. It's just, yeah, really sweet. Um, it's but the, the camaraderie, the relationship between Calvin and Hobbs is because the tiger's in his imagination. Although he questions whatever Calvin's thinking, he never berates him or has a go at him because at the end of the day, it's in his imagination. Why would you yeah. create something that's going to be nasty to you? So he's always kind of at the end of the day, they always agree to disagree or be friends. It's so cool. That's lovely. Just please, if you've never read it, check it out. I am. That's awesome. Yeah. Brilliant for bringing that to me. I never, I I never just, expected that. I was just having a quick look because, um, you know, these things always tend to end up as films or something. Oh, yes. Um, so I had to have a look and he just basically said, I no interest at all in nope. ever turn it into a film. Uh, the closest you'll get is a documentary called Dear Mr. Watson from 2013, which is about the like an exploration of Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. Uh, so if you are interested, then that's available. I'm, to watch. I'm going to check that out. But, well, uh, but he said one thing I saw in an interview was that he admired the world of animation now, and he does. He is aware of Pixar. Yes. Um, but he said that. It's still not going to happen. He doesn't. He doesn't feel like it would work as a medium, other than in a comic strip. So he, he he was also quite forward about saying he's never like merchandising it. Like there's any merchandise you see of Calvin and Hobbes is a knockoff. None of it's official. Yep, they're all fake. He literally did a couple of calendars, an official kids reading book, 
and there was something else I think he did, but that is literally it. This is probably why I, I don't know or... of it because it's not thrown him in Garfield <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. Um, if you like you like you like your comic books and stuff, check it out. Seriously. Yeah, of course like I do. It. Of course I do. Yeah, like you say, if there's a big collection of it, I'm, absolutely. I'm always up for a bit of flight of fancy. Cool. Thank you. Brilliant. That heartwarming and lovely. Um, Stig. So, the block I want to talk about, they first met each other in 1963. They worked together with John Cleese in 1966 and then broke out as stars in 1971 with their sketch show that ran for 97 episodes. Of course, I want to talk about the two Ronnies. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the greatest comedy double act ever. I, I find That's a lot them- of beating. Yeah, I just find them absolutely hilarious. Um, a bit of research for those people who don't know who they are. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't. Maybe Americans probably don't know who they are as much. But the two Ronnies got their big break in 1970 because they filled in unprepared and unscripted for 11 minutes during a technical hitch at the BAFTAs and impressed the BBC bigwig so much that they offered them a sketch show. Um, so that's basically how they got the. They had a chance they were known count. they were known separately before then, weren't they? They'd done a few things separately, yeah. yeah um sitcoms and stuff. Uh, Ronnie Barker was uh, doing stu- uh, doing things and then he kind of met Corbett by a chance yeah. meeting. Yeah. And um yeah, so I'm thirty six. <clears throat> I wasn't even alive during the height of their popularity. Um but obviously yes, one I was good, one of the good <laughs> things about <laughs> you, met him. Well. you met him on a work still, didn't you? Uh, one of the good things about the BBC is that they they make sure that these things are remembered Uh, you know you know of people like Morecambe and Wise and Monty Python and Blackadder uh, because they like to remind you of all this stuff that's been and gone don't they like you it it crops up a lot syndication works different in Britain as opposed to America where America to be syndicated it has to have like 100 episodes in Britain, it just has to be liked. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Uh, 18 million was their like height, the amount of people they had wow. tuned into them. The highest That's it massive, got. Then. Which is massive That's in massive. the in the seven in, in the seventies yeah. and eighties. Yeah, that's huge numbers. There's only four channels though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but not everyone will have had TVs. That's true. That is absolutely true, yeah. We all have to go to the bottom of the street to watch the telly. So we're just over 50 years on since that debuted now. And um, yes, some of the language and some of the sketches are very dated. Um, but I think one of the things about the that's really great about the two Ronnies is despite the odd word and things here and there, they were never offensive, never insulting. They weren't never, blue waller. Yeah, never punched down, never did jokes that were just, oh, you have to be clever to get this joke. It was just pure joyful comedy it makes me laugh i i sat and watched some sketches this week and I just thought they're laughing like even though i know the punchlines even though i've watched them and i've seen them before it still makes me laugh uh, folk so they... andals andals for folks <laughs> it's the most overplayed sketch show <laughs> but when you watch it it's so fucking good uh, yeah. But they're sure they used to they used to do opening and closing spoof headlines they did a serial oh, yeah. sketches that ran through so it wasn't just Sketch shows like small five six minute sketches. They had it was like a variety a seri- show, wasn't it? Yeah, they had like a serial running through it. The Phantom Raspberry Blower of Old London Town. Oh, that was so funny! <laughs> yeah. 
Like you really can go good. onto YouTube now and watch the whole of it, like kind of crammed together. As it's about just over an hour long, but um, wow. that's one of the best things about YouTube: the the, the ability to go and just pull up these clips <coughs> whenever you mm. want. Um, yeah, they did. Uh, Ronnie Cobb used to do ramblings, monologues, sat in his his, mo- his, his monologues on his chair were in his chair. Fantastic comedy musical finales. I say this show came out. I wasn't even alive when this show was like popular. And yet I've seen oh. these and I've watched these reruns and things like that. And they did a they did a show, didn't they? Um was it late nineties or early two thousands where they it was just them two and they just reshowed old clips and stuff. Yeah, yeah before um, before um Ronnie Barker died, wasn't it? Not long before. Yeah. Um but I just a few that you should check out. Uh, you should check out Swedish Made Simple, Four Candles, <laughs> Four Candles, uh, The Sweet Shop, Crosswords, Crossed Lines, which is ridiculously clever. Yeah. Uh, the courtroom quiz is incredible. <laughs> oh yeah, like, <laughs> you got a guy trying to like get a confession out of somebody, and it's done in the manner mm-hmm. of a quiz show, and the judge is like the like oh he says. Um, what did you have written down, uh, Judge? And the judge pulls up his bit of cards. It says, like, bullets or something on it. And he's like, yes, bullets for the win! And it's like... Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. The, um, the, the, the cross-line sketch, I've no idea how they managed to rehearse that. Oh, no, it's, it's so good. It's one man... There's two men at, a, at payphones having completely separate conversations. Yeah. One talks, and it then the sinks, other answers. It? And it syncs up, but the, the conversations sync up perfectly, so the lines just bounce off each other and it works so well uh chic in a grocery store you could look at that as being a bit problematic these days <laughs> because of the uh he's obviously like browning up chic. and everything and yeah. but it's more of a play on the english language and spelling like he can't say tongue because the way tongue is spelt you don't pronounce the u so it's tongue, someone coming tongue. in saying i want some tongu yeah and it's all it's more about a misinterpretation of how the English language is written down as well as stupid. Our language yeah. is mad anyways. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. My favourite, my personal favourite is the Mastermind sketch. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. It's so fucking it's good. Genius. I watch that every month. It's so good and I'm pretty oh. sure this is done in front of a live studio audience as well because they, because they actually have to pause at one point where the crowd is laughing and clapping so much. Yeah. And the mastermind sketch is his specialist subject is answering previous questions. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. But it's the way he manages the the script is perfect. So he is um, every answer that answers the previous question answers the current question, but in a comedic way. And it's like, what's the difference between a, a trade unionist and someone else? And the answer to the previous one is one's an ass and one's a something else. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Like you really have two to types go... of donkeys, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you, you really have to go and watch these. I'm not going to try and do them because I Did you know that that, 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 that skit was done in uh, one take? Yes. Which one just shows their fucking genius. Yeah. Like you stick one take. And they don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I learned it, mate. That's where I learned it. That's where I got it from. And they don't ever seem to cock up when they do it either. They keep, no. Even though it's hilarious, they, they manage to keep a straight face. They keep it like 
they're just they're just so good at, at maintaining like a straight face and keeping it. Uh, their I mean, delivery is good, but Barker's face, man, just his yeah. stoic presence with his face is the look on his face. They is both have the He's so the good. accolade, the accolade, and no one else has done this since or before. The accolade to have Queen Elizabeth II visibly in tears at the Royal Variety performance. She's wiping her tears away because she's laughing that much. She never fucking laughs. <laughs> That's so, incredible. Summit in that. Yeah. It's mad, isn't it? They um I might have to go try and find that, see if it's on YouTube. It uh, is, mate. It's their delivery their moments. Their their attention to details, their reactions off each other. It's just so special. Like the, the genius It's how about... one of them's one of them's a beast and one of them's a tiny little man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they play off the fact that one's large, one's tiny. Yeah. Uh, and one of the best things about them as well is that they're so good at it wasn't always like, oh, Barker's a straight man and Corbett is, no, like, just the silly stuff. They can switch it between them. So one could be the straight man, one could do the funny roles, they could switch it, they could both be, both be straight, they could both be funny. And they just made it look effortless. And it's just so well yeah. written. Um, when you talk about these two, though, in the writing, you obviously, um, David Renwick, you should always give a shout out to him because he did a lot of the writing for their sketches. Yeah, it's always worthwhile, like, remembering him because he did a lot of stuff for them. Um, but yeah, seek out. Just watch that list I've watched. So Mastermind, the Four Candles so one good. is just—it's overplayed, but it is hilarious. When he when he asks for the O's, and <laughs> he goes and gets a her, and he goes and gets yeah. a hose, then he gets the pantyhose. He's like, no O's, like O's, O's. And then he says, have you, any, "Have you got any? Have you got any P's?" So yeah. he's, and he's like, like trundling off, like gets the ladder out again, back up the ladder, Got brings him place. over, gives him the peas. He gets out the peas out the box. No peas in a tin. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It, yeah, like the ending of that, the punchline at the end doesn't quite land for me. It's no, a bit, but it's the journey, not the destination. On yeah, that stage. but the there's a little fun fact about that is apparently. I hope this is true because I. This is the internet and everything. Uh, Ronnie Barker wasn't as happy with that ending either and originally wanted a female assistant to come out and ask what sort of knockers. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So, oh, and apparently, I think it's at Ronnie Corbett's funeral as well. The procession leading him down all held like held four candles like the they had four people holding four oh, candles wow. as they walked down. Handles <laughs> for folks. Yeah, but it's just them two. Uh, they all sound consid- like Biggie in that sketch as well, both of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Considering they're not of my time at all, it's just classic, timeless comedy. I and I just, I, I don't see how people cannot find them funny. Yeah, the thing is, they I both did me, separate things as well. Corbett did. Uh, sorry, I think it was a TV show. Sitcom. Yeah, and then you've got Porridge um, and Open All Hours. Porridge and Open All Hours. I, 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 I as great as they were, hours. I still agree that they were the best together. Together, together. yeah. yeah. Uh, Corbett did um, the one Ronnie, didn't he? After a yeah. bit, yeah. after is yeah. where he's doing sketches with other people. There's a really good. That one, wasn't actually. terrible either. There's a really good one with um, Harry Enfield. Yeah. It's very similar to the Four Candles, where the, the, he's in a grocery. Grocery stuff, like a food shop. In a shop, yeah. And he's like, my BlackBerry doesn't work, but it's a BlackBerry. 
an actual fruit blackberry. He's like, what else problem have you got? And, and they do all this computer jargon, but around fruit and veg. Yeah. And it works really well. But the difference in that sketch is Harry Enfield is struggling like fuck to keep it together. Yeah. When you watch probably it, his hero as well. When you watch it, he's proper grinning. And Ronnie Corbett plays it so straight and doesn't break. And yet Harry Enfield is there with this big grin on his face, trying not you can tell he's trying not to laugh. <laughs> so yeah, it's a really good sketch as well. But yeah, the two Ronnies, like one of my favourite double acts ever. Yeah. I agree, mate. They're fantastic, fantastic. And I don't know how I'm going to follow that with my silly answer. But here goes. <laughs> <clears throat> I should have put you last. In 1998, I was 12 years old, impressionable, emotional, and a loner. Nothing has changed at all, really. But back to being 12. It was the first time I truly saw a friendship rise from adversity and stress, a friendship that would last a lifetime. Some say the biggest gaming double act since Mario and Luigi. Most say, who? This unlikely duo met at an office party in which one of them was being harassed so much he pissed himself and the other was busy playing with remote-controlled missiles. That's right, everyone. I'm talking about the canonical ending, double act and founders of the nuclear proliferation non-profit organisation Philanthropy, you guessed it, Love can bloom on the battlefield. Solid Snake and Otacon. Fucking hell. My favourite. <laughs> I fucking went there. <laughs> I went there. I've gone for it. I've gone I was, for it. I was literally going to make a joke. Oh, but this is Metal Gear when you said 98. <laughs> <laughs> it fucking is. <laughs> fucking course it is. So, uh, for people that don't know, Solid Snake, real name David, is a lab-created clone of the greatest soldier to have walked the planet, John Doe, a.k.a. Big Boss. Otacon, real name, Dr. Hal Emmerich, is the nuclear scientist, anime-obsessed, unlucky-in-love man in the chair for Solid Snake. Whiny fucker, that's what he is. (laughs) (laughs) On the first game, he is. Now, this blossomed into one of my greatest um, hetero-life-mate double acts in video games that I've, I've, I've witnessed. Those two were completely in love with each other in a platonic way, and you've got to agree, if you've played these games, they're madly in love with each other, but not in a, a sexual way. Um, from the first game when they meet up, Solid Snake doesn't like Otacon at all, does he? <laughs> well, no, because well, no, he finds him in, in a locker pissing himself. <laughs> Which is just how cries about everything. The whole game is just crying about stuff. Yeah, can love bloom on the battlefield? Well, it turns out he falls in love with everyone and then they die. But <laughs> what happens, and because and, there's two endings to that game, and the ca- canonical ending is that you escape Shadow Moses with Otacon, which is the bad ending, believe it or not. And I don't, I don't, they, think, I don't they, think it matters either way because, like, by the time you get to Metal Gear Solid Four, it changes. Everyone, everyone's alive anyway. <laughs> Forget all you knew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, it, I don't know. I, I think it, the the relationship really, really blossoms in Metal Gear Solid Two, where it's been a few years, hasn't it? And yeah. now Otacon's not a baby anymore. He ain't crying anymore. He's the man in the chair. He is fantastic. He's he's quite ruthless in it. They've got the coolest gaming handshake you've ever seen. You remember that scene when they go, doof, 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 and they're doing the like five minute Hideo Kojima bro handshake, and they give oh, each other a so massive hug dorky. and a little kiss. Look at the look oh, it's, it's so cool, though. 
It's so good. It got to the point where me and my best mate, we started doing it, and then we realised we're never going to get girls if we do this in public. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, it is a bromance before I knew the word bromance. And, like, even at a young age, I was like, these two really do love each other, and it's so beautiful. And then in... in, um, then you don't see him in Metal Gear Solid 3, obviously. There's there's parallels to it, so it's not the same, is it? Um, and then Metal Gear Solid 4, there's... <sighs> Solid Snake age, ages quickly, because he's a, cl- he's a clone and stuff like that, and Otacon's age normal, and he's he's become the younger man now, and it's... <sighs> but he's also quite... He's quite a father figure to Solid Snake, isn't he? Because he's looking after him, he's like picking him up when he's falling over and telling him not to smoke cigarettes, which he's done from the beginning. And it's just kind of beautiful. And the bit where, like, do you remember the scene in Metal Gear Solid 4 where he's going down the microwave and you've got yeah. a big fight in the background happening and Otacon talking in your ear and, oh, God, it's just so beautiful. And then the ending to Metal Gear 4, is, the main crux of that game is how those two, the only constant thing those two have ever known is their friendship throughout everything and it's quite fucking beautiful and i i've not seen it since or before to that extent in a game you see it in films and tv and real life all the time but it's a proper pure friendship and it's quite beautiful like stig says it starts from such an annoying place because otacon's so fucking oh it's it's so annoying. <laughs> it's so I'm, I'm, bad. I just looked up the handshake I had to, and the other two handshake, it? and it's got somber theme music in the and background. The parrot like, flying in the background. And then they hug. Yeah, and yeah. you see the comments here, like proof that love can truly bat- bloom on the battlefield. <laughs> Orcon was more of a brother to Snake than his own twin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Raiden just stood in the background like, damn, I want my own bro handshake. <laughs> yeah. It's more than, they're more than brothers. They are lovers, like platonic lovers. It's fantastic. I'm trying to remember the the mechanics of the game. If you're in first-person mode and you look mm-hmm. at certain objects, does Otacon ring you or do you ring him and then he comments yeah. on what you're looking at? I can't remember which way that it That starts works, on number but... two, doesn't it? That starts yeah. on two. Because you, you catch, uh, like, especially, you're especially that locker. little photo thing you can do with him, where yeah, you can, where you can take photos. Like Snake, we shouldn't be taking photos of breasts and stuff. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't put it in the game, then Kojima. <laughs> yeah, you big perv. Well, yeah, but then he then he also writes in the kind of weird quasi incestuous relationship Otacon has with his sister. Yeah, yeah and yeah, also yeah. the fact that his family fell apart because he, he had an affair with his stepmother and stuff like that. Yeah. It's fucking mental. He's like, he, hey, his stepmom. Yeah, his stepmom. He was the first. <laughs> the first always many. ahead of the game. But there's like, the, the main, like, if you, and I know Gadget might have done it, if you read the Metal Gear Solid 2 um, novelization. I haven't gotten so... that desperate for something to read. Mate, the first one's bad enough. The second one, there's a full like three chapters of before the game where they're on holiday together. It's fucking fantastic. 
<laughs> and he's got Otacon telling Snake, like, I don't mind putting lotion on if you want me to. I don't mind. It's like, you fucking want to fucking. <laughs> I've just got the scene of them two skipping down the beach holding hands with, yeah. like, people let me tell you about my best friend. And they're playing yeah. the background. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It, it just it makes me feel like Kojima's never had a friend and he's just created one in Otacon. He likes all the cool <laughs> shit that I like. <laughs> Why is Kojima really Otacon? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Kojima wouldn't have had a friend until he met Jeff Keighley. Yeah. Now, they are the Otacon and Snake of the real world. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. It's just something about this this double act that I really love. And he's actually quite a useful friend. I mean, you're never going to play as Otacon. I can promise you that much in in the series. But on the later games, when it's not Snake and Otacon, when you're other characters, it never hits that high that you get from it. Do you know what I mean? You don't get that. Yeah. Um, you definitely don't get it in Metal Gear Five. No, no, no. It's just, just bring fucking, him back in the balloon. <laughs> it just, okay. it, yeah, it just gets a bit grim dark in that, and you've got fucking yeah. um, Revolver Ocelot and uh, the guy with the Kaz. arm, Kaz. Yeah, Kaz? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and then, Kaz and then Hero just, Miller. Yeah, those just like being really grim, like boss. You got to do the thing. This is the Afghan war. We can't be joking right now. Skullface yeah, is you moving can, around. Yeah, you can put a balloon on a tank and, and see woo <laughs> into the sky. It's was a cool issue with Kojima's games, isn't there? <laughs> proper. This is why I this is why I really like Metal Gear One and Two, because you don't care about being daft like kiss like sticks kissing posters. You could kiss posters. <laughs> and then Otacon rings you up and goes, Snake, what are you doing? <laughs> don't kiss them, kiss me. <laughs> I just think it's a beautiful double act and clearly one of them's more in love with the other but yeah it's just nice and I just want listeners to watch that handshake Stig enjoyed it it's fantastic it's brilliant I'm not even this is not hyperbole it's just fucking badass moment and it's totally fucked up because by the way that's just after his sister's been killed yeah. oh yeah he's crying in that scene yeah Oh god, he likes so a good, good cry. He does like a good cry, and and, and pissing himself. Uh, he, he, <laughs> he do see he do see his dad Huey in later games. He's not a good person. He's an absolute horrible bastard. Uh, but yeah, I just I just like Snake and Archon, and the fact that the name Hal and Dave from um, Two Thousand Space Odyssey, yeah, which is fucking cool. And Kojima wants to direct films. Like I just want to see uh, Otacon and Snake film. You know what I mean? That's all I'm after. Can be a comedy, can be a, a romantic thriller. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not worried about the spy stuff. I, I I just want to see those two on screen constantly. Suppose you could do it do, do it in the style of um uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent, where it's a bromance yeah. slash spy film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Imagine that'd be so fucking cool. But yeah, they're they're my picks. Uh, not as deep as, or as good as two runnies, which. But there you go. I want to know if our listeners like any double acts or anything like that. And Gadget, you're back off your holidays, so you're doing it now. Yeah. Stig, yeah. we're doing it in one take for the last couple of weeks. Oh, no, I heard the rap. <laughs> <laughs> you did, didn't you? <laughs> I, also, I also heard Planty last week attempt to do it and him struggle as well, so let's see if I can do it in one take. <sighs> Genuinely though, the like I love the feedback from Zenis, but that was that was a long 
feedback. <laughs> yeah, I, I really got you. You should have been here for that episode. <laughs> I would have we struggled going, like what? fuck. Planty did well. I, I'd have been. There'd have been so many edits in that. <laughs> oh, it's been all over the shop. I think I think it helps with it helps with the forty because I have some forty k knowledge. So I know these names. I think that's mm-hmm. very good. What? <laughs> so speak speak of the devil. Xenos is starting us off. Uh, much more concise this week. Uh, he's saying the two Ronnies and Morecambe and Wise are the obvious mentions for me. Obviously, yeah. some of the sketches are very much of their time, but if you cut out the inappropriate stuff, they're still comedy gold decades later. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Kurt came in with me and Pete Beckett. No, that's a no. boy. Any? I've already said with those those opinions that they've got on films. Never watching those. That two won't again. stand the test of time. Um, this is one I can't believe I didn't think of it. Um, that Fkin guy has said Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Especially Bottom. Bottom was fucking brilliant. I watched a clip someone had uploaded on YouTube of them on stage, and it was Rick Mail couldn't couldn't remember his lines. Oh yeah, yeah. And Edmondson is just milking it to fuck, and he's destroying him for it, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's just (laughs) taking the piss out of him, and you can see uh, Rick's head kind of got like asking for the next line so he can jump on it and go it, and he's just there, just crosses his arms, and he's just like, "Nope, go on, go on." (laughs) (laughs) If you really want to see how them as a double act, how, how perfect they were. Watch the episode of Bottom where they get stuck on the Ferris wheel. Yeah, I love that one. That is literally one scene, constant. I don't know how many shots it took, but that is two perfect comedians in sync with each other. It's fantastic. Like, like, like Bottom gets a lot of stick for the fact that, I mean, it is very crude humour throughout it, but it's delivered so perfectly. Like, it, it's almost... Yep. It's like scientific precision in their ability to deliver it is, comedy. It is precise, and it does. It, the whole thing looks like a stage play. Yeah, deliberately, it's fantastic. Yeah. But the, 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 if you if you can get hold of the live show DVDs, my god, some of those. That I, one on the beach is good. I want to be sure. There's one I can't remember which show it's in, but it's um, uh, Adrian um, knocks knocks Rick off his game because he like says something with an unexpected flourish. And it gets a bit, it gets a bigger laugh than uh, Rick expected, and you get this ten minute thing where Rick's trying to get the crowd back on his side so he can deliver the next line. That was when they were in Southampton. That one. He was in Southampton. Yeah. Yeah. Adrian Emerson is just again like the other one. He's milking it. Absolutely milking it. It's so funny. And I, like people have started uploading them onto TikTok, so every time I'm scrolling around, I'll see like a oh, uh, like a bottom live outtake on TikTok, and I'll sit there and wet myself laughing for three minutes. It's so you'd also watch Guest House Paradiso, which is underloved. That film, I really like it. Me, I didn't like it as much as Bottom. No, it's not as good as Bottom, but I, I really liked it, and that probably is available for Americans to watch. Yeah, somewhere. Uh, moving on, Ray has said, um, after all these years, the screen duo with Woody and Buzz of Toy Story is still my favorite. I appreciate their friendship because in a period of nearly 14 years, it morphed and matured with time into one of the most natural manner I've seen in any media. It started from a camaraderie forged in crisis in the first film, then turned into unconditional care and help in the second, followed into something close to family bonds when they faced the great uncertainty in Toy Story 3, until they bid each other farewell when life, goal- life goals diverge at the finale. As new characters keep being added to the story, the physical interaction between Buzz and Woody were, were diminishing as the series progresses. However, seeing how Buzz giving out his hand in the incinerator and assuring Woody before oh. he says anything at the carnival, I believe their friendship has, has long gone past the stage of needing any physical proof. 
In the end, I can only say many thanks to Pixar for creating this duo for a generation of kids and adults. You don't, we, we don't bring up the incinerator scene. No, we don't. <laughs> Are you trying you know to make just, us cry? I've just realised as well, Hideo Kojima based Snake and Arkan off Buzz and Woody. Every single beat is exactly that. <laughs> and that's absolutely crazy. Little fucking bastard. I've just, just ruined everything. Yeah, Woody and Buzz are oh, a good just, double act. Ah, oh, they're so good. And also, and also from those films, an equally good double, d- an equally good double act are the Potato Heads, as just a yep. little comedy foil that come in every so often. Mister and Mrs. Potato Head, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, last up, we've got Angry Kurt's genuine response, um, <laughs> which he said, uh, "Hi, hi, ME crew. It's got to be the legends that are the Chuckle Brothers." <laughs> Chuckle Vision was a staple of my childhood post-school view and it was suitable for all ages with its slapstick comedy. It was one of those few kids' TV shows which the parents wouldn't mind watching too. The death of Barry Chuckle a few years ago was probably the first celebrity death mm. that hit me hard. They meant so much to me. I remember going to see them live at a seaside resort once too when they were just as good and I got to meet them afterwards. It wasn't like a meet and greet where you had to pay extra or anything. They just decided to sit and sign autographs for the audience on their way out. I picked up a oh. Chuckle Vision Rubik's Cube that day too. Legends of British kids' TV. Yeah, I love def- them. Yeah, definitely. If you're a certain age, like the Chuckle Brothers were a big thing. Did you know that the Chuckle Brothers is a little fact for it? I mean, Kurt probably knows because he's a Uber fan. But the other guy in the Chuckle Brothers show is their other brother. Yeah, Do you know the one that's that's always telling them off. That's their other brother, and he he's never part of the Chuckle Brothers. It's so such a shame. Did you <sighs> ever fantastic. see the um, just after he dies? Because they're big Rotherham fans, and yeah. they're in the he's in the stadium, and the fans from separate sides. So the Rotherham fans were shouting to me, and the the oh. fans were shouting to you, and they were shouting to me, to you, to me, to oh, you, back lovely. back across the crowd to each other. Awesome, oh, yeah, so lovely. Bless, yeah. I I really like Chuckle Brothers, and I mean I don't know if it's the same series that that Kurt watched when I were a kid, but Chuckle Vision, it's had a few different guises, hasn't it? It's, it's changed, it's yeah. gone with the times, but the original Chuckle Vision that I used to watch, Chuckle Chuckle Vision, yeah. fuck me, that was so good. It's, it's funny, isn't it, how they, their act kind of just stood the test of time because they, it just kind of yeah. went with, we got too old for it, but then the next generation got, like Kurt's kind of They got their own, age. didn't they? They got their own chuckle vision, and and it carried. They yeah. just carried on going. They were never, they never seemed to get sacked off because yeah. they got too old. There's like regardless interview. of them, them growing old, they still did the same act, and it still got put on TV, and kids it's still an really interview. enjoyed it. Can you remember um, Paul O'Grady, Lily, uh, Lily, Lily Savage, Savage yeah. Paul O'Grady? Yeah. He, he had his own talk show for a bit, didn't he? And the Chuckle Brothers went on that, and they said they based their act on Charlie Chaplin, and they said, "How can you beat Charlie Chaplin?" And they were like, "I have two Charlie Chaplins," and it makes so much fucking sense. Yeah, it's just and it's that's it's, what they've they've just doubled it up. Yeah, and it's just it's just really funny, quite innocent slapstick. Yep, nineteen. I, I think nineteen eighty-seven to two thousand and nine. Wow, Christ. twenty-one series, two hundred ninety-two episodes. Get it watched. Fucking brilliant, <laughs> vision. Love it. Excellent. Thank you very much, listeners. Um, <clears throat> right. So, as always, links to our extracurricular activities are in the show notes. Please join our Discord and check out modernescapism.co.uk. So, from next week, are you ready? Modern escapism is changing. What? Not again. Every month (laughs) for the next 12 months will be themed. 
The main topics we do will now link with these themes, and as it's a new month next episode, it will be the start of our first themed month, and it's going to be summer, basically. Wet, hot summer, summer vibes, hot boy summer, hot girl summer, all summer vibes. And we're going to do, the first one is going to be summer blockbusters, isn't it, Stig? Yeah, Where boy. We talk about everyone fucking loves a summer blockbuster, and the week after, we're going to do the great big modern escapism barbecue extravaganza. More details on that to follow, but it's going to be chaos. Um, we will will release our 12-month schedule uh, at the same time as next week's episode, or the next episode launches, so check that out on Twitter and in our Discord for a lovely uh, infographic that Candy's created for us. I'll stick it on the website as well. You'll be able to go on there and see what we're going to do each month for the next year. It's exciting. It's making us feel like we can be quite creative. We're not limiting ourselves because we've, we've chosen what the themes are, but it's making us it's making us stretch that stretch our uh, imaginations further in a good in a good way. Also, look out on the 9th of July. This is a good one. Oh, yes. It's going to be a good one. We will be live streaming our one-shot alien RPG in full technicolor, guys. Yeah, this is Dolby the... surround. It's going to be incredible. This is, this is the belated birthday for Scorch Sheep, which was supposed to happen at the beginning of June, but because everyone's been so busy this last month or so, we kind of put it back. And um, we're playing one of the official free league one shots for it, which needs five, yep. which needs five players as well as the game master. So we have a special guest coming in, none other than um, Jack Chambers Ward from the Sequelizers. He's going to be. I thought you were going to say Sagani Weaver. No, he's he's going to be roughnecking <laughs> it with you guys, trying to survive in space. That guy. I love him. I'm a big fan. So yeah, that, that that'll be on our Twitch channel um, on the ninth, and we'll send times out on Twitter and in the Discord. Gadget, are you nervous doing a live DM, baby? No, no, no. I forget. I rope you lot into into it all the time. I can do it live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. Digital I'm space. Excited. You can I'm... hear Gadget scream. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, have, I have seen. I have seen a whale in Yutani. Udi on Amazon that I'm thinking, should I get it? But it's probably going to be 9 million degrees that evening anyway. Probably. <laughs> See how quick we can wind Gadget up and divert from his story <laughs> live on Twitch. <laughs> Evacuate Xenomorph out of the airlock. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> hey, it's going to be you crazy. You can do that if you want. That's a, that's, a, that's a way to win this particular scenario. We've never done a thing like this before. We've spoken about it for a while and I'm deadly looking forward to it. You can see live our actual dice rolls that we're not cheating, and Biggie is that bad. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, this 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 one's interesting as well because the dice are different to D and D. Um, you either pass or fail. It's not like it's not a D twenty. It's not oh, a that's... range of numbers. So it's going to be a lot of failures, and and if you fail, your rolls then get worse after that because it adds stress. <laughs> Feel free to let us know in the feedback who you think is going to go first, Biggie. Yeah, bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely going for it. I'm not playing my big, massive Goliath this time. No, you'll be playing Space Goliath. I can't, I can't just run in there and batter the alien. Nope. <laughs> you play, you play, you're playing a nice squishy human. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to us next twelve months as well. Again, the infographic will be released, and I'm excited. I know uh, my my co-hosts are excited as well because. We've put some thought into this, and I think it's going to be magical. But to everyone that's not a patron, 
this is really the end of the show so this has been a podcast and it's good night from him it's good night from me good night from me fucking hell it took too long good night oh.